We're here. Our long-awaited return has come. The Out of the Box Podcast is back. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, we're in studio, Tom. How are you? Yeah, all right. Oh, well, that's yeah. that's the vibes we yeah, need. Yeah. It's uh I'm, I'm here to bring the energy. That's thank you. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> We've got so much to cover. Mm, yes. it, it has been a truly hectic couple weeks though you know we had the twitter space that we did thank you to everybody who joined us we actually had pretty good live numbers but then for whatever reason the audio did not save thanks elon and i don't know how to find it mm, so it's gone we're, we're actually here with a show now that will be online forever yes so so we will try to provide you with that content that you'll want to listen to yes we'll indeed. see what happens <laughs> dang tom <laughs> Here is your trip around the bases. We will start at the plate, talk about Alabama. We'll look at the Auburn series. We'll preview. Again, do we have to? Yes, All right. we do. We'll preview mm. the LSU series coming up this weekend, including the most important night in Alabama softball history every year. It changes each year. Mm-hmm. Friday night is taco hot sauce night. Time. Oh, wow. Mm. Can taco continue no. the dominance? No, it is time for hot sauce to rise up rise up mm-hmm. like that one song <laughs> taco is the tennessee lady balls of this year right now so what does that make hot sauce mississippi state <laughs> no ouch Ugh, woof then we'll advance the first and look at the sec speaking of tennessee lady balls just a wild series win over florida we'll look at that we've got everybody else in the sec and then of course fgcl player of the week then time to steal second with our friend amanda scarborough our first true returning guest this year maddie shipman came on for trivia and then a full guest spot but first time we've had amanda on since week two i think i think that was pre or post clearwater yeah and i think well i mentioned that at some point this week you could tell me that clearwater was two weeks ago or five years ago and i believe you either way it's weird how this year has gone it's flown by and at the same time it has seemed like it has just been an unbelievable grind. Yeah, I mean, you could tell me that that Sunday Auburn game was a month ago, and I would believe you. I feel like this week has taken forever, but here we are, and we'll play a little game with Amanda as well. Stay tuned for that. After that, rounding third, bracketology, big games to watch, some interesting things happening tonight as we record. Clemson Liberty, Texas State, and Baylor is coming up in just a bit. We've got Stanford Fresno State but the big one Tom well actually two big ones Longwood and Duke Lancers giving the Blue Devils a fight but the big rivalry Florida State and Florida and Tallahassee yeah a lot lot of really big midweek games going on right now that could uh, make a late impact on those bracketology numbers and what uh, what seating will look like and again I ask the question will Alabama still make the playoff look I know spirits are down for yeah, you, yeah. but I can confirm that Alabama will make the playoffs. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you very so much. So you can sleep tightly tonight. <laughs> Kiss your wife and children all as well. I assume Auburn will be the number one overall seed. No, actually. No, really? No. Oh, it, it's okay. still Oklahoma. <laughs> well, all right. Then we'll head home. We've got picks. After all the chaos of last week, we tied the week great because of course (laughs) and then we've got off the wall because some people still don't know how to use the google machine when it comes to uniform colors and then finally a supremely large tom's hungry 
Oh, wow. We have not done Tom's Hungry for Starkville or Huntington. We will do that tonight, Tom. And there are several podium contenders that we will discuss. And you've got, I mean, I'm basically giving you the floor for Starkville because for many reasons, I only participated in one meal. <laughs> right. And then Huntington, just a major surprise how many quality, quality things we found in a very short time. Yeah, we came on strong. So it's it's going to be, when you said amazingly large, I went, were you talking about me or... <laughs> The segment. I was talking about, about oh, myself oh, okay, trying right. to walk up that hill <laughs> at Montana's house. Oh my god! I was like, how far is this car? We have almost been killed by fireworks. <laughs> now I have to walk to the car through all 200 acres. Oh man. Follow us on Twitter at <laughs> OutOfTheBox underscore pod. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review, follow us on the gram as well. Just search out of the box and we'll be there. Okay. The Auburn series, uh, Alabama falls to the Tigers to one in Tuscaloosa. Atmosphere was incredible, and we'll talk about that in just a bit. Obviously, disappointing results. There's a lot that we have to cover. We will start with the good because, amazingly, not everything is horrible. Sometimes good things do happen. Really good weekend for Allie Shipman. That three-for-three three game in game one, I thought, was impressive for her. Missed a couple home run balls in games two and three by three or four feet, and in the last five games, she's hitting just shy of 500, Tom. She seems to be swinging it as well as she has all year. Yeah, definitely having a, a great end to her uh, last season at Alabama. So hopefully she can continue that rolling uh, moving forward because um, Alabama needs that offensive production. Lauren Esman, I thought, had a really good game three with that double and then working what could have been a pretty complicated at-bat into a walk in the seventh. Got down 0-2. We've seen a lot of people at the bottom of the order. Once they go down 0-2, it's like, oh boy, all right, well, that's it. Right. And Lauren did a great job fighting back in that at-bat. And I think it's interesting that we might see Lauren, depending again on some other injury situations, take over the first base spot going forward if she can keep that up because she's going to probably get another chance or two as a starter with multiple at-bats this upcoming weekend against LSU. Yeah, I thought she had, uh, considering – the fact that she hasn't had that many at bats overall this year uh, to be put in that situation that she was once Prangy was hurt and Emma Broadfoot had to move over to third. Um, I thought it was a really impressive performance by her. And she definitely uh, made a statement that, you know, even you know, as we're all have our fingers crossed that Ashley Prangy will be back and be able to play uh, relatively quickly. Uh, even when that does, uh, she may still be in that lineup as always, you know, have, has that opportunity to pitch as well. Lastly, well, a couple more things I want to touch on good-wise. Kimley Halen, remember when she started one for 16 or thereabouts in conference play? The conference batting average is right now at a very respectable 275. Good finish could potentially put her in the SEC Freshman of the Year, at least conversation, which is where I think we thought she would be when all this began. And that's really, really good to see how the freshman has matured as this year has gone on and just gotten more comfortable against SEC pitching. Yeah, the last couple of weeks she'd had a couple of, of rough weekends, but you know this weekend against Auburn, I thought she really kind of rounded back into form and um, you know might have kind of hit a little bit of a wall to where you know normally in her high school career or travel ball that, that was about the time when the season would have ended, but maybe now that she's gotten past that, back to where we need her to be. One more very very good thing I want to make sure that we mention the crowds this weekend, three sellouts incredible especially considering game one being moved to saturday i thought the reception from the fans was remarkable especially on montana's senior day during all those festivities everything about that was phenomenal and 
considering that this season has been a little more up and down than I think anybody anticipated to see that support still come through is really, really great. And as far as we know, crowd should be just as packed this weekend against LSU. Yeah. Just an amazing outpouring and, and the, the number of people that were there uh, on Friday when the, the forecast didn't look great, but you know, they were there all day to get in there and nine thirty, the yeah. first chairs were out to save a spot in line that morning. Unbelievable. So, and the fact that everyone, virtually everyone came back for that rescheduled game on Saturday, um, the second game being played literally during a day and still a, a packed house at the Rhodes house to see Alabama and Auburn. And then a Sunday game that started at 1130 still packed out these so. are not the most convenient no. times for people no it's like that's like that it's like they sat down and, and marked out all right when would be the toughest time <laughs> to possibly sell this thing out and did it without any problem so uh great job uh and tremendous support by all the alabama fans again i know it was a, a disappointing result especially on sunday but hopefully everyone will come back out and support the team again this weekend all right the not so good it, it honestly all starts with me with the praying injury. Uh, game one against Auburn, we saw Alabama do what they needed to do, do what they look like they were capable of doing all year long. And then Ashley Prangy's deep fly to center field came up a foot short of leaving the yard. I still can't believe they didn't go out of the, out of the ballpark. If that leaves the yard, yeah. I think the whole weekend is different because Prangy is never having to run to second. She doesn't have that little flare up of a previous injury from earlier in the week sliding in and she probably is able to play in games two and three but all of that does happen and we see Alabama have to juggle the lineup take a lot of different moves into consideration that I think kind of left the back part of the lineup a little bit more vulnerable than they had been in previous games and you know it was just so disappointing because it felt like game one of Auburn was Alabama turning the corner and then surprise another roadblock pops up and it's an uncontrollable roadblock, but one that we certainly hope goes away this weekend. We do not have a status update on Prangy, but our hope is that whatever the issue is, it'll be resolved quickly. Any offense will take a hit when you take out the number one RBI and home run hitter in the lineup, especially one that is having the issues that Alabama is having. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment about you know the perception and what it is uh, compared to the reality and the stats of the situation. But um, yeah, it, it certainly hurt, you know, the fact that you had that rain out on Friday before the lineups were ever exchanged. So both Patrick Murphy and Mickey Dean were able to put every lineup they wanted to for the Saturday game out there, regardless of what they were planning on doing on Friday. It allowed Mickey Dean to make the change and do Shelby Lowe in game one and Maddie Pence in game two, which was, I think a, it was a gamble because you were basically almost, you know, giving up game one to have a much better shot at winning game two. Right. And then avoiding, you know, kind of gave you the, uh, at least the perception that you didn't think Matty Penta could beat Montana Fouts one-on-one, or you wanted to give, limit the number of times that was going to happen. It obviously worked because Penta won game game three. So uh, the gamble worked out for him, but it was still a gamble. And the fact that, you know, Penta never had to face Ashley Prangy, I don't know if it changed necessarily the outcome of the game, but it changed how the games would have gone. Yeah, and there were a lot of opportunities, including in the seventh. And, you know, Jenna Johnson probably should have mentioned her in the good. She had a great weekend. And moving up in the lineup is something that I think really helped her. 
you know, she was in the two spot in game one before having to go to the leadoff spot when Prangy was out. That being said, Jenna, while having a good weekend, while having a really good last month, is not the team leader in home runs and RBIs. And Ashley Prangy, the team leader in home runs and RBIs, would have been up in the seventh had all the previous scenarios that we described not occurred. Right. Uh, I still believed in Jenna in that moment for sure. I would have been really interested to see what happened if Prangy were up in that moment. It threw Alabama out of whack in a time where they couldn't afford to be thrown out of whack. Yeah. Amazingly, this year, for as many ups and downs as there have been, injuries, as I knock on wood, haven't really been an issue. It has been of you know other inconsistencies, uh, but this is the first time that it's been caused by an injury, and hopefully the only time that's going to happen. Could not, it literally could not have happened at a worse time, and it, it changed uh, the way the the rest of the series was played again auburn still might have won the series uh but i think both games would have been different had prangy been available let's talk about the offense uh again i mentioned earlier that we're going to have an off the wall segment Uh, there will be things that we will discuss uh typically we have talked about some of the hitting comments that have come online and i think this part that we're going to talk about right now addresses that a little bit because I saw, again, a lot of the comments on Sunday that said, team can't hit, team can't hit, learn to hit, LOL, learn to hit. Sure. I don't see Alabama as a team that has a hitting problem. I just see them having a scoring problem. Six hits against Matty Pence is pretty good, you know, against yeah. a pitcher whose OBA was sub 1-7 going into that matchup. Now, game two, three hits against Penta, probably not enough, but also Auburn had some errors that allowed you to reach. And I'm just saying Alabama this weekend got the hits, the number, the cumulative total that you're looking for against really, really good pitching, but they're not scoring. And I don't quite understand why we've talked about the situational hitting a number of times and... Prangy being out certainly throws a wrench in yeah. what looked like, again, a corner being turned in game one. But at some point, somebody's just got just to gotta come through. It's just one of those things where you can have a plan. You can coach them up. I think that Alabama did a lot of things right against Penta on Sunday, but they weren't able to do those right things in the big moments. And there's just got to be someone that takes ownership of those chances, of those opportunities, and just comes through. Judging an entire offense based on what they did against a pitcher who may win the pitcher of the year in the conference is a little bit unfair. Yeah. Uh, So there is that. But that being said, it was an opportunity for Alabama on a national scale to make a statement that, you know, a lot of the offensive issues that have been discussed are overblown. There's a lot of offensive talent on the scene, which I know that there is. uh, But Alabama wasn't able wasn't able to do that. Uh, but had multiple opportunities. There were, um, you know, the seventh inning, you you did bring the tying run up to the plate. You had the go-ahead run to the plate in the sixth inning. You had, uh, I think it was either second or third inning, Alabama had uh, multiple base runners on. So there were opportunities, and you got the hits to set up those opportunities. You just didn't get that next hit to cash in on those opportunities. And that's, you know, that's the difference. You know, you look at a team like, you know, if you're going to go to the very top, look at what Oklahoma does offensively. They don't have a single player in the top 10 in home runs nationally, but they're number two overall in team home runs. And they just, no matter who's coming up to the plate, you know, there's a really good chance they're going to come through. 
And that's what that's the goal. That's obviously what you're trying to get to. Not everyone's going to have the one through nine that Oklahoma has, but Alabama has a, has capability and has the offensive talent to do that. Uh, just has in some of these big situations, they just haven't come through. I don't think it's something that is coached. I don't think it's something that maybe it's it's a strategy situation. I think it's just number one, having good approaches when you come to the plate and just finding a way to get the hits at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, refusing to be denied. So it's, it's a mindset. There's a lot of the issues right now that Alabama has offensively are between the years. It has nothing to do with, with that's my read on it with the capability to hit. Yeah. They all have the capability to hit. It's, you know, they just have to have to do it. And it, whether it's a situation of once somebody does it one time, will the floodgates open? We certainly hope so. Uh, but there have been times where people have come through and then we haven't seen that happen. So hopefully it will. Yeah. And I think also the need for in those moments, if you're not going to get the hit to be productive and you're out is really, really critical. And Alabama did do that a couple times in a one-out situation, remember Allie Shipman hit the long fly ball that almost left the yard. Yeah. Runner at second, I believe it was Jenna, tagged up, went to third. Sure. Lauren, after her double foul-out situation, it was actually great base running to tag up and go to third. So there were a couple of those scenarios, but I went through last night because I was thinking about something that, that I had pondered for most of conference play pretty much since the UNA game, remember in Florence when we brought it up. In Alabama's SEC play losses, with runners in scoring position, in all the possible at-bats, Alabama has struck out in 25 of 59 at-bats. That is 42.4% of the time. That feels like a lot. I have zero comparison to anything else. I can't compare it to wins because I did that at 1 o'clock at night. Sure. But that feels like a lot. And I feel like if Alabama can even cut that number in half – we're going to see the run production increase, even if it doesn't lead to a hit. Well, as we're looking right now, Florida playing Florida State. Uh, Florida, as as we record, they're in the fourth inning. Florida has a 3-2 lead. Florida has three runs on one hit. Yeah. So, I mean, there are ways to score, even if you don't get a hit. Uh, but it results, you have to be able to, one, execute if you're asked to lay down a bunt, execute, you know, hit and run, put the ball in play. And I think a lot of it, too, is the approach because it seems like so often, especially in those chances where, you know, two or three, you know, two runners are in scoring position, the bases are lower, things like that. The batter comes up and next thing you know, they're down 0-2 because they looked at two pitches almost right down the middle. Right. That seems to happen inordinately high number of times to Alabama hitters. And then Alabama, to their credit, will battle and battle and battle. And, you know, sometimes with the ball and play, end up striking out on, you know, nine or 10 pitches. But they got to do a better job of recognizing uh, good pitches to hit earlier in counts. Um, so they're not down quickly. Oh, two and having to scratch and claw to stay alive An over Eagle eye, you know, the, the a bird's eye view of what's going on uh, without, you know, I, I haven't gone through and looked at all the number of at bats where Alabama's down. Oh, two in the count. Uh, but it seems like it's a lot. I had just kidding. Oh, no, okay. no, that would be I would crazy. I'd have been very impressed. No, but I I mean, I do have the pitch selection stat, which I've been tracking all year. Alabama, when they put the first pitch in play, hitting 352. Second pitch in play, 343. First or second pitch, 348. That's 70 points higher than the current team batting average. So the stats would suggest that if you go after the first or second pitch, good things will happen. And if you don't, then you're – 
odds of getting a hit, at least this year for Alabama, have dropped significantly. Right. Again, that's just me reading the stats. So, and I also think there there's a there's a little bit of a change in how Alabama is is finding ways to produce. This year, it feels like it's only on hits. Like they're relying solely on hits. This was an Alabama team that in the past was so, so good at drawing walks. And I know that that works in complete opposite right. of what I just read. But attack earlier in counts, but also draw walks. Well, but I but also it, think, yeah, like, 100%. you know, we see when Alabama players do get into those lengthy at bats, they get to the three twos and then they. They chase. It's the first pitch they chased in the entire at-bat, but it's out of his own, and that's when they swing and miss. And that's why, to me, I highlighted Lauren's walk in the seventh against Auburn because there were a lot of pitches that she could have chased down Mm 0-2 that she battled. And then the 3-2, I believe Miss Lowen inside, didn't go after it. I believe it was an off-speed from Penta, which was what was cooking Alabama there. So that was a really good sign for her in my eyes. But – I think when you're able to work those at-bats, getting to a positive conclusion after you've made the pitcher have to work that much is something that we need to see a little bit more. You know, I, I think that you look at it that when if a player is chasing what would be ball four for strike three, I think that's an indication of one youth, and, and there's, a, yeah. there's a lot of these – We do forget, like, the back half of a lineup is either new here or new to college softball. Right. So I think there's a U factor there. But I think there's also a little bit of pressing and just being probably a little bit frustrated. If you're an Alabama hitter, I I assume you're probably thinking, we should be scoring on these guys and and we're just not. Yeah. Uh, That I think that there's probably some frustration and pressing uh, that, again, goes back to the mindset that we're talking about you know, when you go up to the plate, you know, the part that frustrates me is like, I know they can do it. I know they can do it. We all know they can do it. The staff, the coaches, the fans, everybody listening. They're like, yes, Bailey Dowling up. Absolutely. That's who I want. And there's no reason for the players to doubt themselves because none of us do. And I think that we believe in them. A big part of it is them believing in themselves. And once that clicks, once they play free, once they don't have the weight of the world on their shoulders, when they step into the box, I think that is when we're going to finally see these hits translate to runs. Because again, Alabama is hitting. They're yeah. just not scoring. Correct. One yeah. more thing that we do have to touch on, unfortunately, Great. Yeah. was uh, game two, the errors pop back up. And oh, man. just such a bummer because I think Alex Alter and Jayla Torrance pitch pretty darn well all things considered in that game a couple other things that were kind of out of your control that affected you but all in all can't be committing multiple errors in a game in the sec and expecting to win if you commit one you can maybe get away with it but two or three no and and not and as we talked about all year when the fielding has become an issue it's not the number of errors sometimes it's when they happen yes if you need to be reminded of what happened in the top of the first inning game two uh, Alabama thinks that they're out of the inning. They are told they are out of the inning mm-hmm. by the umpires uh, after a review of a play at first base. We go to break. We go to break. And we specifically right. wait to go to break because yes. the same scenario happened in Starkville. Correct. Uh, so, yeah, we wait to go to break after the official review brought to you by the Out of the Box podcast. Oh, never was, again. Was, never again. Was Came back in Alabama's favor. Uh, as we come back from break, we've literally, like, 
we're to the point of reading the line. Yeah, I think for Alabama. I think you were right in the middle of it when I stopped you. Right. I was like, Tom, something's happening. Something's happening. So apparently, and if you did not hear, the issue was in Birmingham where the uh, replay review is all handled uh, at the offices there in Birmingham. They had multiple reviews going on at the same time. And the umpiring crew for the Alabama-Auburn game was given the result of a play from a different game uh, on, on the Secret Service um, r- radios. First so, of all, what are the odds that there just, is yeah. a review happening at the exact same uh, time? Right. Anyway, keep going. Which has really been the first main hiccup and uh, strike against the replay system that is currently uh, in, in play with the SEC. Usually it's really good. The SEC one, since that very first SEC tournament where we tried it out and realized that we needed to, you know, tweak a little bit how things were turned in, I think it's been pretty strong. Right. That all said, the teams had to come back out. You know, Alex Salter thinks she's out of the inning. She's drinking water. She's sitting on the bench ready to go. Then they pull her back out there with a runner runner on first uh, with two outs. And then Alabama should have been out of it on a ground ball and an error happens. And then Denver Bryant hits a three-run homer, and Auburn just kind of runs away with the game from there on. Had the error not happened, Alabama gets out of that without there being any issue. Sure. Uh, and I think the game is entirely different because Alex Altser ended up giving up four unearned runs in that game. So the error at that point, because it happened when it happened and just allowed Auburn to continue that momentum, and then you know Denver Bryant was having a great great, great weekend, and she, she took advantage, uh, but wouldn't have had that chance had the error not happened. Right. So just got to tidy things up. You're going to play an LSU team that in particular has some people at the top of the order, Sierra Briggs, Danica Coffey, who can cause havoc on the base pads and can put the ball in play. Got to be sound on the defensive side. And that is kind of our transition into LSU coming to town this weekend, Friday at 6 p.m. Central, Saturday at 1 p.m. Central time, Sunday is at, is that 11.30 now yeah, or 12? 11.30. Yes. 11.30 Central time on ESPN. Game two on ESPN2. Kate and I on the plus and Tom in the radio booth. Are you going to have a partner? I think it'll just be me. Okay. And then we'll be back together Saturday and Sunday. Indeed. So it's a big series. I mean. It's taco hot sauce night. Taco hot sauce on Friday. Oh, the eyes that we're going to be giving each other Mm. during the 20 races that will be (laughs) happening. I can't wait to somehow go one in 19. I just want them all to be competitive. Sure. I just want to be, get something right. (laughs) A lot at stake, SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, pride, Mm -hmm. uh, confidence, just so much going into this weekend. And And Alabama LSU, one of the biggest rivalries in the conference. Right. Typically very tight LSU, I believe Last check, the only SEC team to have an overall winning record against Alabama all time. Correct. This is a weekend where you need to be at your best, and it's hard to answer the lineup question without knowing the status of Ashley Prangy. I can answer the pitching rotation question. Probably going to see Montana Fouts, Alex Salter, Montana Fouts. Although, wouldn't be shocked if we saw a Lauren Espen Game 2 appearance because it is such a lefty-heavy LSU lineup. I believe eight of their nine starters are left-handed. Yeah, I think you can definitely see that. Is there a situation where Montana pitches back-to-back games as well? I think that's Maybe. the only other question. It may depend on what happens in game one. Yeah, and, and again, you've kind of got a quick turnaround there, so I don't know, but I mean, I wish I could answer the lineup question. I think if Prangy's out, then 
I think you kind of have to stick with what you did on Sunday just because they're in a ton yeah. you can do elsewhere. You know, maybe try and work Callie Hevlin back in somewhere. I did like the way she was able to bounce back with her pinch hit against Penta. You know, maybe Kinley back to the leadoff. Maybe. And get uh, Jenna back in the middle or, or even back in the two spot, but be able to, you know, put Lauren again if she can continue to build off of that Sunday down on a six or seven just to give the back half of the order something. Yeah. Uh, I, and, you know, something else we, we didn't really talk about. Cannot have a hitless weekend from the eight and nine spot. You know, Faith Hensley came on and got a pinch hit double, which was great. But hitless for Kristen White, hitless for Larissa Pruitt. They're both better than that. Yeah. Just kind of one of those weekends where it didn't really work out. Larissa even went hitless with an RBI. Right. But you got to have something from the bottom of the order to set up the top. Yeah, got to get on base. And I think just no matter where it comes in the lineup, uh, I I would think you would, if you're Alabama, maybe utilize the small ball and manufacturing a little bit more as the game goes along. But, you know, Alabama, one, has to have people on base to do that, and two, uh, if not on base, you know, the Chris and Whites, those type of people, um, they got to be able to put the button down. They got to be able to beat it out. Uh, I think that's, you know, just comes down to execution. Anything else you want to touch on before we put it in play? Not my favorite weekend, but, uh, you know, that happens. I mean, in, that happens in sports. Despite so. my joyous persona yeah. right now here on the spot, I too was quite pissed. <laughs> yes. I did not have a great weekend. No. I indulged a good bit Sunday night. Zero out of 10 would not. Yeah. Recommend. But at the same time, like, it's 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 so right there yeah season's it, not over i mean gotta, it's yeah. so right there if a couple things can change mm-hmm. you can get a, a a break or two that actually goes alabama's way right it is right there absolutely but we just are running out of time yeah. so somebody's just gotta do it yep all right who are we should we in honor of ashley prangy and in hope of her return yes be her sure okay we're <laughs> ashley prangy and we're hitting it literally off the top of the wall. Mm. And that leading to a cataclysmic set of events. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Put the bubble wrap around the foot. When we come back, what else is happening in the SEC, Tom? A good bit, actually. That's right. next. You're yeah. on the Out of Box Podcast. <laughs> Dang it. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We're advancing to first Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury. As we have done throughout the years, we are recording these segments out of order. And typically we do the guests first and then we do the rest of the show. So there are going to be some comments that you hear in a little bit when we're talking to Amanda Scarborough about games going on right now. But I got to say, Tom, we don't take a lot of breaks normally. That's probably the longest time between segment recordings we've ever had because we just watched Liberty walk off Clemson and Longwood walk off Duke tonight. Wow. Which, I mean, when you look at that, you know, take Clemson out, but the other three games, the other three teams have a connection to Alabama. Right. You know, Liberty beat Alabama this past week. Alabama's beaten Duke and Alabama's beaten Longwood. And that win over those wins over Longwood in Tuscaloosa way back, I can't remember if it was Bama Bash or Crimson Classic or whichever one it was, uh, could end up being really significant if the Lancers now have two top 10 victories on the year. Crazy. So just, again, want to let you know we are aware of what has happened here on recording night. I am not going to go back and update all of the bracketology data, and we'll cover that a little bit later. Mm. But just 
Already, Tom, a crazy night. And as we record, we've still got Texas State and Baylor starting right about now. Florida, Florida State still in action. So, man, these midweeks are not for the fan of heart, especially here in April. I feel like yeah. we've seen more midweek upsets than ever before this month. Unfortunately, our Mercer Bears was going to be at Georgia. It doesn't look like it's going to work out for them. Go Bears! Yes. Oh, in fact, Baylor, Texas State is already in the sixth. So that's crazy. Wow. Not going to see an upset there, it appears, but you never know. Again, I ask, has Texas State won a game since Austin? Uh, You would think not. Mm. You know who has won a game as we advance the first? Yes. The Tennessee Lady Vols. They win all the games, apparently. And oh, what wins they were. (laughs) They sweep Florida, a 9-1 win in five in game one. Run to the mill, we're like, oh boy. Mm. Game two, Florida jumps out, has a 9-3 lead, and then hits and errors and walks and basically every way you can allow a team to come back florida does just that tennessee wins at 11 10. tennessee wins game three on monday night softball 10 6. i leave the series 99 percent sure tennessee's going to win the conference a little curious about some of the storylines of lady ball pitching but florida was a team that was playing well and then ran into a brick wall in knoxville and, you know, Tennessee, they had been winning with that pitching. They had been just, you know, we always talk about the best pitching staff in the world was going out there and just dominating people. But that was not the case this weekend. Florida, Scott Wallace had an unbelievable weekend. Uh, Florida offensively uh, did everything they, they could to probably win the series. Yeah. Uh, offensively, they did enough to win the series. I cannot believe with some of the offensive stats I saw that they didn't even win a game. Right. Uh, and then for Tennessee and Florida had a big lead in game three as well. Uh, but Tennessee at no point uh, panicked and they just chip, chipped away, chipped away, got the big hits, took advantage of the errors by Florida. Really crazy too, considering, you know, what Tennessee's offense is doing, putting up 30 runs on Florida, but also you look at three weeks ago, we saw a significant hole in Tennessee's offense and teams were exploiting that. And I don't know if the matchups have just not been to where the opponents can exploit that these last few series, but goodness gracious. I mean, the Lady Vols, when we get to bracketology in a bit, they are ramping up the seed lines. They've almost locked up an SEC championship. They look like one of those can beat Oklahoma teams if Ashley Rogers is healthy. And I think that's the biggest storyline from the weekend, even in a sweep win. Ashley Rogers only throws two and a third innings against Florida. That's a concern. She hasn't even thrown all that much compared to past years this season. And still there was something that kept her on the bench and made Karen Weekly say, we need to give you a break. So that that is uh, the big question. The alarm bell would ring because Carlin Pickens has struggled here the last few weeks. All of a sudden can't throw a strike. Right. So uh, you're going to be probably relying on Ashley Rogers even a little bit more. Uh, they've had uh, some better outings from Peyton Kotschall, but they're going to probably rely on Ashley Rogers a little bit more uh, moving into postseason play. Uh, so you, she's got to be healthy for Tennessee to do what they're capable of doing, which is, like you say, a team that can maybe com- you know compete with and possibly beat Oklahoma in Oklahoma City should they meet. Let's go to Lexington. Weird things happen in Lexington. Who's pitching? Not Stephanie Schoonover yet. Word is she's closer to being back. Kentucky 
needs that to happen because good lord it's not going great without her they did take a game off of arkansas somewhat inexplicably right winning game three three to one but arkansas dominated the first two games hogs did exactly what they had to do i think taking on a kentucky team without their ace wildcats need her back we're not breaking any news for arkansas if anything you're probably disappointed that you didn't get a sweep yeah but uh arkansas has probably as good a position as you could have thought they would be four weeks ago uh looking at what they had coming up the rest of the weekend the rest of the season uh series wise uh, on their schedule so I think Arkansas is in a good spot. Kentucky, I think we'll talk about bracketology, you know, not in the discussion no. at this point. Uh, so they they really need Stephanie Schoonover for numerous reasons to be able to come back for the, they need wins in the regular season before they get into postseason play. Georgia, speaking of sweeps, lost sweeps this weekend. Right. Which, Dogs. Which I did not predict any of those. No, yeah. of course not. Neither did I. <laughs> Georgia sweeps South Carolina. The two Donnie Goborn games, which South Carolina is fully, it seems like, committing to game one and game three. It'll be Donnie Goborn. Pretty tight. Georgia wins 2-1. Georgia wins 3-0. Game two got squirrely. Dogs win at 9-1-5. and five. Definitely a step back for South Carolina. Certainly didn't think they would get swept in this series. For Georgia, the pitching has been really impressive. Shelby Walters, your co-SEC pitcher of the week. I mean, if the dogs with that offense are able to pair that with consistent pitching like what they got from Walters this weekend and the rest of the staff, all of a sudden is Georgia a team that we should be talking about as maybe one of those dark horse national championship contenders. As crazy as that might sound, the talent's there. Yeah, I mean, Georgia, the fact that they, you know, what what we've always talked about with Georgia is they have to have the consistent pitching. They have the offense and to you know, hold – a South Carolina team that was playing as well as they have uh, in a few years, probably uh, to only two runs over the three games. Uh, really, really impressive. And I think if you're South Carolina, sorry, we keep trying to jump on the bandwagon because every time we do, we get bucked off very quickly. Oh man. I got last week, right? And I was like, you're going to take a game in Athens. Yeah. And mm, no. Speaking of in trouble, Mississippi state. Oh no. You did get this one right. Yay! LSU swept the Bulldogs in Baton Rouge. Game two got wild on ESPN2. Game one, LSU won 7-1. Game three, 8-0 in six. Game two was 10-4. You know, we can touch on LSU if we want. I think the bigger story here, Tom, is Mississippi State. Right now, they are as they are in as dire straits as any team when it comes to the NCAA tournament bubble. Obviously, you have to stay above 500 overall record. As it stands right now, as we look at the team sheet, it's not going great for the Bulldogs. RPI at 53, 24 and 22 overall. Not great considering the last six games are at Auburn and Kentucky at home. There are a couple metric things that are good here, but some bad losses. This is a just disgusting resume yeah and it could all be a moot point if they aren't above 500 i can't believe i'm saying this but i don't think mississippi state's gonna make the ncaa tournament this year because like you say you look at their resume because we've always said you know if an sec team is over 500 they're probably getting in maybe not with this resume like they might we found the formula yeah (laughs) oh for 16 against the rpi top 25 will do it yeah 
Uh, great to play all those games. You got to win a few of them at least. Uh, so that, and then you know, just this horrific losing streak they're on in the SEC. They are not playing like a team that deserves an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament right now. Fourteen straight conference losses after sweeping the opening series. If that holds, it's possible they could go zero and six these last two yeah. series. Say Schoonover comes back, right? Just in time, right? Uh, Samantha Riggs, we go, great, thanks, yes. wonderful. Having seen them in person, it's a little unnerving. It's it's it's, it's hard to figure out because talent wise, they're better than what their record is. Yeah, it's just they're just not performing. We hope to see them in the tournament, but not looking good right now. Hopefully they get a good draw in the SEC tournament that maybe allows them a chance to grab some key wins and stay afloat. It depends. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> right now that we know what their first game will be pretty much. <laughs> right. Texas A&M takes two of three in Oxford. Ole Miss wins in walk-off fashion game 185. We're like, oh, this is interesting. Tom, you took Ole Miss. I got really worried. Yeah. But then A&M wins 6-3 in game two, 13-8 in game three. Common theme here, a lot of runs. Pitching, not the strongest this weekend for either side. Interesting that we're seeing Ole Miss's pitching staff kind of come back to earth a little bit because early returns on those numbers in early conference play and throughout the regular season were pretty good. But A&M able to hit the Rebs pretty well and a big series win for the Aggies who just needed something good to happen after a tough last couple of weeks. Yeah. It got them off the schneid of what, what's been happening in conference play for a couple of weeks for the Aggies kind of getting them back into the top 25 conversation and get them, um, you know, moving in the right direction with a couple of weekends left to go. I think if you're Ole Miss, you're probably a little bit encouraged that your offense was able to put up the numbers that they were because offensively that had been the issue for them. Uh, but then, you know, just as you start to feel better about your offense, your pitching kind of falters. And again, you know, I, I don't want to feel like I'm picking on the Mississippi schools, but Ole Miss is sitting right now at 27 and 21 overall, and they've got six games left, mm-hmm. Alabama at home and at Florida. So perhaps some danger. I think yeah. if you win one of those games, you're probably good RPI in the mid thirties, SOS at nine, non-con SOS just outside the top 20. All of that is fine. Got some good, got some wins. Yes, you've actually uh, beaten some RPI top 25 right. teams. So I think if you win one of those six against Alabama and Florida, you're probably okay. But you lose all six and you're just in a dicey situation based on overall record alone. Yeah. If I was Ole Miss, I would try try to win a couple of these regular season games and then try to win a couple in the SEC tournament too, just to remove all doubt because that that they're one that looking at their team sheet if they end up over 500 they're probably making the tournament probably will i think missouri's in the same boat we didn't really speak about the tigers but they did sweep north texas this weekend which was certainly what they needed to do anything else you want to touch on the sec before we go to fgcl player of the week uh we should probably discuss on what the standings are with a couple weeks left to go okay here we go wow already yeah, up right there tennessee yeah. 16 and 2 overall, Georgia 15 and 5, and then you've got a two game in the loss column gap until Arkansas and Auburn. So basically, Tom, backing up exactly what we've been saying, your SEC champion is probably Tennessee, barring catastrophe, then it's probably Georgia. Right. Even catastrophe, it's not guaranteed that they're not the champions right. at that point either. So yeah, it looks really good for Tennessee. Uh, the question now becomes who gets 
uh, you know, in that top four, because that's still a pretty big race between four teams with Arkansas and Auburn at 11 and seven, LSU and Alabama at 10 and eight. Alabama has an opportunity to try to get the tiebreaker over LSU this weekend. Unfortunately, they don't have the tiebreaker against either Arkansas or Auburn. So uh, Alabama needs to take care of their business and probably needs the Hogs and the Tigers to lose a couple of extra games for us. Yeah, and Arkansas will be hosting Tennessee, as we'll talk about in a bit with Amanda Scarborough. So it's not the draw you want. Right. Yeah, very possible. Yeah, and then Auburn this weekend will go to South Carolina. So you never know. Mm. Donnie Goborn. We love you, girl. Come on. We'll jump off the bandwagon for you. Fear the lashes. (laughs) So there we go. There you go. SEC standings. Okay. All right, FGCL Player of the Week. Mm -hmm. We've got our noms. I will list seven. Tom will pick two. I'll pick a winner. Bada bing, bada boom. Bam. Here we go. Sarah Willis. Not here to make friends. FGCL Mm -hmm. Circuser, the unofficial MVP of a champ series a couple years ago for the circus. Sarah Willis, UCF. 14 innings pitched, 7 hits, 1 run it was earned, 7 walks, and 11 Ks picked up 2 wins against South Florida. Tatiana Davis, Jacksonville. A dolphin. Yes. And a lynx from the FGCL. 6 for 12, 2 RBIs, a triple, a walk, a K, and 3 runs scored. In Game 1 against Queens, had the game-winning RBI single in the 10th and a 3-2 win for Jacksonville to prove who the true queen is, is Tatiana Davis. Mm, that's Queens from North Carolina, not from New York. Sure, yes. No New- Spider-Man jokes no. here. Newly D1. <laughs> Maggie Purdy, Eastern Kentucky, 4 of 13, 4 RBIs, a homer, 2 triples, 6 walks, 6 runs scored. In Game 3 of what was truly a wild series against Jacksonville State, had the walk-off RBI single in the 7th in an 11-10 to 10 win. All three of those games were pretty much like that. So that tells you anything. Francesca Taraka, Monmouth, in the nine hole in the lineup, goes five for 10 with five RBIs and a double. Can we get some of that energy? Yes. At Alabama, that would be great. Jaden Justman from Green Bay, six for 10 with an RBI, two doubles, two walks, and five runs scored. But wait, we have another member of the Green Bay team, Samantha Saloon, 5 for 11, with 9 RBIs, 2 home runs, a strikeout, and 5 runs scored. In Game 1 of their series with Youngstown State, had 7 RBI. Wow. So, a rough week for Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, but a good one in the softball field. Hey, and that's what the people want to hear. (laughs) Indeed. R-E-L-A-X. Finally... Morgan Scott from Oregon just continuing to plug away. This is her fourth nomination. That's the most of anybody. 11 and two-thirds innings, six hits, no runs, no walks, 11 strikeouts. Pitched really well and appeared in all three games against Arizona. And before we pick a winner, Tom, I just want to make sure that we read a couple of the stats. We've had 51 different players nominated. Morgan Scott has officially taken the lead with four overall, but... A bunch of people with multiple. Again, we're representing and highlighting a lot of different folks Mm -hmm. across all levels of the FGCL and across all levels of the NCAA. And we could have our 11th different winner, depending on how this goes. I'm just reading a stat, not trying to sway you, but let's pick our top two. 
I am going to say if you have a seven RBI game, you're going to be a finalist. So we'll go with Samantha Saloon from Green Bay. And I think we're going to have to give Morgan Scott another another finalist spot. Oh, man. Okay, I mean, to zero runs in three games against a team like Arizona, obviously a somewhat struggling Arizona team, but still a heck of a heck of an accomplishment by Morgan Scott at Oregon. Is Arizona going to make the tournament? I, I feel as though we've had this discussion Did we before. not do exactly this a year ago? <laughs> as, as we're wondering if both Mississippi State and Arizona are going to make the tournament, and then we turn around and they're playing in Super <laughs> Regionals. Oh, man. I'm going to give it to Samantha Saloon. Seven RBIs in one game, really good. Morgan Scott has been incredible, but I want to make sure that we highlight the incredible accomplishment that Samantha Saloon had. I mean, nine RBIs on five hits? Yeah. It's crazy. I think Morgan Scott's giving the Joey the the gracious loser. Yes, the gracious loser face. No, and Morgan Scott, we might actually do an all FGCL at the end of the year team. I think she's She's going to be on it. Four nominations. And again, I'm sure that her time will come, but she's she's becoming the new Meryl a little bit. Four noms and just one win thus far. She won my boxy, so she did. There is that. That's true. That one is aging like fine, <laughs> like Meryl Streep. In fact, <laughs> just getting better with time. Yes. More award-winning performances. Congratulations to all the nominees, and of course, our winner, Samantha Saloon from Green Bay. Okay, Tom, we've got the sign. You ready to run? We're off. Let's go. We're not gonna leave early. We're no. not gonna get caught. Yes. So many things you have to look for now when you're trying to steal a base. When did it get so hard? I don't know. It's it's unnecessarily difficult. Oh my gosh. Now I'm like crawling. Let's just do it. Let's go. When we come back, we'll steal second with our friend Amanda Scarborough from ESPN. Play a little game as well. That's next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We are so thrilled to be back in studio for the first time in what feels like months. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury now stealing second with one of our friends who we know has not been on the show in months because she's the first one to appear twice for a full guest spot as we steal second with, of course, the All-American from Texas A&M, our friend, the ESPN analyst from the Seven Innings Podcast, Amanda Scarborough. Scarborough, how are you? Good. I um I love stealing second with you guys. It's the best time of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and we've got so much that we need to cover. Of course, we have to start with just the mayhem that occurred in Austin over the weekend. We were listening to to your game this weekend. I was listening to Seven Innings podcast earlier today, and just some of the some of the context of that series was really wild. You have a Texas team that was no hit end of a seventh twice and swept 
just really, really remarkable what the Longhorns were able to do in that sweep of Oklahoma State. What did that Texas squad show you in all three games, Amanda? Well, I think altogether they they pitched and defended well to limit Oklahoma State's runs, right? Like they their pitching defense kept them in the game despite trailing for the first two games, essentially the entire going into the, the seventh inning. So um, pitching defense did well. Um, but this is a team that's figuring how to win close games and they've played in a lot of them. They've played in so many one run games this year. And I think they were losing a few more of those, maybe toward the middle of the or beginning to middle of the year. And I think that they're figuring out ways to win those. And, um, I don't know, like this is a really young team, but I think that they're starting to come together and maybe playing their best ball. Like they just progressively, I think gotten better and better and better as the season has gone on. I, I really do believe that. And then Oklahoma State, you know, they had lost two games entering that weekend series. They had lost Wichita in the midweek and had lost to Iowa State the Sunday before. So they've lost five in a row now. Where do the Cowgirls go from here? Yeah, it's it's just their offense. It's just really on the struggle bus right now. I think I said that on the seven innings podcast too. They're just not they're getting on like their, their batting average was decent, even across those five games that they've lost. Uh, but like their batting average with runners and scoring position, the amount of people that they've left on base, that's where it's really hurt them. Like those numbers are really high to where if they got one or two more big hits in a game, like a lot of those losses would have potentially been wins. So um, Oklahoma state just, wasn't in a great place. You could tell they were starting to press a little bit at the end of the series and frustrated. I mean, who wouldn't be right. But they also had a ton of games in one week because they went from uh, playing Iowa state to then playing Wichita state midweek and then playing Texas Thursday through Saturday. So they didn't have a lot of practice time. So I'm sure they're happy to get home, have some practice time and go into this week with a fresh mindset and just trying to pick up their offense because they're pitching their defense did their job. They were, they're fine. Yeah. Sounds eerily familiar. Everything. I know, yeah. As I was uh, saying, I was like, wait, that probably sounds really familiar to you guys. And it, it, it honestly, like Oklahoma State's past week is kind of like maybe what Alabama has felt for the entire year, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, cowgirls, mm. we feel you. Yeah. We got you. Another uh, kooky little sweep that happened this weekend came in the SEC, and it came in Knoxville. Tennessee swept Florida. Games two and three, as bonkers as you'll find in the sport of softball game two in particular, really, really crazy. Florida led 9-3 at one point, lost 11-10. to 10. What did the way Tennessee won that series show you? Because Florida put up 17 runs in three games against that pitching staff. That should have been enough to grab one, but they didn't get any. Yeah, I mean, as we can talk, so you're talk about Oklahoma's losing streak, uh, Tennessee's on a little win streak, and it actually started in my first game against Virginia Tech whenever that had, they had that midweek game on a Tuesday. That's when that win streak started. And to me, they've just been a different team since then, and they've been able to win in different ways. So they've been able to pile up runs pretty quickly at times during that win streak, but in the close games, they've been able to figure out different ways to win. So even go back to game one against Kentucky, they won an extra innings on a Lair Boutet putting down a bunt with two outs that pushed across the winning run. And then of course we know they can hit home runs. They like they've been able to win in different ways. So I thought that their comeback wins against Florida, 
this weekend where it was just showing that this team is figuring out different ways to win, not just relying on one way. Um, and yeah, they can have the blowout, but they can just stay calm within a game and figure out ways to come back. And I do think Gray that, um, I don't know, like going back, watching game two specifically and that kind of meltdown inning by Florida, there were so many close plays and just bad defensive plays by Florida that just let Tennessee back in. And so, you know, props to Tennessee for taking advantage of, of that momentum. And, and that's just part of the game. Right. But I remember going back because I didn't get to see it live. I went back and watched it and just watching some of those plays. I was like, Florida was so close to making a couple of outs that just would have been a major difference for them. And they just couldn't get out of their own way. The only possible alarm bell for Tennessee was that Ashley Rogers only pitched two and a third innings over the three games. Uh, is there anything to worry about there? Yeah, I'm wondering the same thing. I don't know yet. We haven't talked to Karen Weekly before uh, their series this weekend against Arkansas. I, I mean, I think with her history, you have to start to have a few alarm bells, right? Because she just in her entire career at Tennessee, like has had to unfortunately deal with injuries. So uh, we'll see how this weekend goes. And maybe they just wanted to rest her, especially with game three, like knowing that they had won the series and they wouldn't have to play until Saturday the next weekend because they don't have a midweek, right? Either way, she probably so. wouldn't have thrown the midweek game anyway. So she wouldn't have had to throw until this weekend um, or on Saturday because they have the Saturday, Sunday, Monday series. So I'm, I'm a little concerned and she's pitching really, really well. And Carlin Pickens um, definitely have some concerns about her, not in an injury way, but in a command way. So they went from having this really thriving pitching staff with Rogers, Pickens, Gottschall, three woman rotation to now we don't know what we're going to get this weekend, which is interesting. More on Carlin Pickens in a bit when we play a little game with Amanda Scarborough here as we steal second on the show. And you know, speaking of concerns, goodness gracious, the Florida Gators. I mean, we don't know what we're going to get at all any night when they take the field. In fact, as we record right now, they're about to start a midweek with Florida State in Tallahassee. Looks like Elizabeth Hightower is pitching in that one against McKenna Reed for the Knowles. Of course, we'll keep an eye on that throughout the rest of the show. But Amanda, what, what do we make of Florida? I mean, this is unlike any Gators team we've ever tracked. We thought they had turned a corner winning that series against Georgia and then to lose like they did in Knoxville is, is very deflating. Yeah. I can't imagine how they feel because you're right. It really did look like they had turned a corner. Um, I think after they had lost the series to South Carolina, it seemed like back to back weekends, they had seemed like a different team. Um, and they probably thought, they're probably looking at it like, gosh, we did everything we could to win these games offensively and are still coming away, getting swept. So I think that when you live and breathe by your offense that you're, you're going to have up and down times and Florida just doesn't have the pitching defense. Like we're used to seeing in the past. I mean, we've been seeing that for a while, but I feel like it was never more exposed and in your face than in this weekend when their offense scored a bunch of runs and Skylar Wallace continued to answer. And so did Charlotte Eccles. I mean, their offense really kept them in the series and still to get swept. I mean, it just has to be a complete gut punch, but I think you'd be lying to say you're not worried about their pitching for sure. And even their defense at times. We alluded to it a while ago, but uh, the other fascinating weekend series this past weekend was, of course, the Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa. Auburn takes two or three from the Crimson Tide. Your thoughts on that weekend series, I guess we have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, guys, I 
coming of the year, I said the two sleeper teams to keep your eye on were Georgia and Auburn. And so selfishly, like, I'm like, yeah, Auburn is a really good team. And I wouldn't say like, winning in Tuscaloosa is so hard, especially winning in a rivalry series. So like that is a tough thing to do. So major props to Auburn, but it's like, this is honestly the team that I thought that they would be. I thought that they would be really good and really motivated. And Maddie Penta is even better than I thought that she was going to be And there. You know, Shelby Lowe isn't pitching as much as I thought she would coming into the season, just projecting out. So the way that they've been able to figure things out, I think like would just, uh, they had, they play with this little swagger and they did that last year too. And now they have the pitching to limit the opposing offense like they they're a team that i would not want to see in the postseason and i think that softball won really on sunday when auburn and alabama played each other on main channel espn because that was just an epic pitcher's duel a close game you're going to see two of the best pitchers in the sec and a great atmosphere like softball won that day um and i know that you guys <laughs> didn't come yeah. out on the winning That's, side yeah but, it's great i'm glad everyone enjoyed it yeah great but, but but softball really did win um and that that was just a classic game it was like i loved to, to watch that game and i was hanging on every pitch just like you guys well and as we look forward to this weekend we get to do it all over again sunday will be on espn as alabama takes on lsu this is a critical series in so many ways you've got sec tournament implications you've got ncaa tournament implications you've got confidence implications for both teams i think especially on the alabama side lsu has got taylor pleasance actually swinging like a hitter once again how do you see things shaping up in tuscaloosa as the tide battles yet another tiger uh, i feel like it's gonna be close games again because that's just what alabama does with pitch with montana in the circle especially and lsu has a good pitching staff too i mean they've stepped up at times so i don't kai i i would have to flip a coin with who i felt was going to win this series because i really don't know how this one's going to play out and you're right gray i feel like both teams are like just really needing some confidence here both teams just just wanting to ride that confidence into the month of may as it will begin so man i i really don't know how how this is this one's going to play out yeah, well, neither do I. And, we, and we've seen every game. That and Alabama's we will played. pick it later on in the show. Of course, I'm, yes. I really am stumped with that one. It, it, it really is interesting. Yeah. Well, all right, I'll ask it in a different way. Who needs it more? Because LSU right now, they're trying to get a top eight spot. I think they're in a good position and might even lock it up if they win this series. Alabama, I feel like even if they lose this series, is still in a good position tournament-wise and seating-wise but they just need to win for the vibes who needs this weekend more. Okay. I, I kind of think LSU needs it. Um, just even looking at their schedule, I know that they just played Mississippi state and got three wins, but you know, that's just kind of what's been happening when unfortunately Mississippi state at the bottom of the sec, but they lost two to Auburn uh, that had that loss to Oklahoma. Like I feel like, LSU needs a good quality win or two on their resume. I know their RPI is high, but a lot of those top 25 teams um, have not games have not gone their way. So I don't know. I feel like the, I feel like LSU needs this a little bit more right now to see if they can try to grab a top eight seed if possible with where their R RPI is at. A two or three wins here would be huge for LSU. We talked about Tennessee a little while ago, but of course they play Arkansas this weekend. What does Arkansas have to do to try to win that series against the Lady Vols and try to help anybody including themselves have any chance of catching the lady balls for the sec championship 
Yeah, I, I think that Arkansas can be a little bit up and down because of just how young they are and they've played really, really well at times. Uh, I'm interested in just game on game inside the game wise of how Tennessee handles Shanice Delsis drop ball. I think that when you've looked at the teams that have thrown well against Tennessee and shut down uh, their offense more than maybe other pitchers, they've been drop ball pitchers as, and you guys had a front row seat for that one, whenever Alabama got the win um, against them in game two of that series. So, so like the way that Madison Preston from AM pitched against Tennessee, the way that Alex Salter pitched against them, um, Dariana Orm from Baylor and then a Fullerton pitcher as well. So it's like, that kind of seems like it, it could be a good matchup to slow down Tennessee's offense with Shanice Dells just hitting repeat on her drop ball. So I'm interested to specifically to look at that. One outside of the SEC footprint out of the Southern footprint that we want to touch on coming up this weekend is UCLA and Utah. It will almost certainly decide the Pac-12. I think UCLA's already clinched a share, and one win will clinch up uh, sole possession of the Pac-12 regular season title. But Utah has been tricky this year. And remember, I believe it was last year, the Utes went to Westwood and run-ruled the Bruins. So it wouldn't be a complete shock to see Utah put up a fight. But what do the Utes have to do to pull off the upset and find a way to somehow sweep the Bruins this weekend? keep the ball in the ballpark. Like I feel like UCLA is so good at just pulling big momentum um, with some big home run swings and just changes the game really quickly uh, between Maya Brady and Megan Grant and Jordan Woolery. So I feel like, I mean, if they could try to just keep the ball in the ballpark, that's going to be important. And I'm sorry, did you say if that's home or away for the, who, who's, who's the home team? That's at Utah. Okay. So that will help them actually, because Utah has a really big field. Um, and it's actually tough to hit the long ball. So I feel like that home field advantage for Utah will be big versus that little tiny Westwood field where the ball just seems to fly um, even some mishits. So not the best pitching staff, you know, in the pack, and they tend to, to give up a few runs. But, I mean, all it takes is to have one game. I feel like if Utah comes out, I mean, I'm sure they're a team that wants to win the series, but I think if you win one game at home against UCLA, you're, you're still feeling really good, and I think that they can. Okay, everybody, we're sealing second with the great Amanda Scarborough from ESPN. Amanda and has been such a good friend to us, Tom, mm. over the years. And <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, Amanda and I talk a lot, and we're usually texting a good bit about softball. But I would say the second topic we text about the most is the hit Netflix reality dating show, Love is Blind. Oh, wow. Are you a watcher of Love is Blind, Tom? I, I am not, but I certainly uh, saw the, the issues they had when they tried to do a live show. Uh, I'm sure that was very upsetting to everyone involved. Yeah, yeah. try the keyword, try. Yeah, yeah. Didn't hey, work out. listeners, that's why we don't go live. <laughs> right, yes. Just saying, we've done one space this year, and the audio didn't save, and no one knows where it is. <laughs> but we're going to play. I promise it happened. We it, were there. We did. I, we're in a hotel and everything. We're going to do a little spinoff of Love is Blind called Softball is Blind. Amanda, you have to make the most important decision of your life. This is where it gets exciting. Will you say I do to the stats that you fall in love with, sight unseen? Or will the thoughts of who might have put up these numbers sabotage that love and will you walk away from that stat forever? <laughs> Is softball truly blind? 
Let's find out. We're going to go through some award categories. I've got some stats. I'm not telling you who is doing it, who is putting up these numbers. And you're going to tell me who would win the award, in your opinion, right now. Well, and I will say, usually when we use the word blind, we're going with the umpires here. So this is a little <laughs> turn of event. Um, so this is interesting. We could also do selections are blind, but maybe that will be next next episode for you, Craig. I can't wait. Yes. As far as I know, Liz Hammerschmidt not here. Yeah, that's, I think. I, let me check the waiting room. No, we're good. <laughs> okay, good. All right, we're going to start with SEC Player of the Year. We're going to ease into it. Here we go. Player A, and of course, a reminder for all the listeners at home, these are just conference play stats. Player A, a 529 average, two doubles, three triples, nine home runs, 22 RBI, a 652 OBP. Player B, a 433 average, four doubles, a triple, seven RBIs, and a 493 OBP. Player C, a 429 average, five doubles, three home runs, 14 RBI, and a 687 OBP. And finally, player D, 345 average, three doubles, eight home runs, 20 runs driven in, a 486 OBP. Okay, Amanda, sight unseen, who is your SEC player of the year? I mean, player A just pops off the page. It's uh, it's the home runs for me. It's the RBI. It's the on-base percentage. All of the above just jumps off the page, no doubt. Do you know who it is? I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing Skylar Wallace. That is, is correct. It is Skylar Wallace from the Florida Gators. The other three players in order, Kayla Kowalik, Aaron Koffel, and Kiki Malloy, player okay. D. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really going to come down to these last two weekends for player of the year. Um, I think that it's going to be about Kiki and Skylar. Um, I mean, Kiki's right there with her eight home runs and 20 RBI. Like, let's see how she does against Arkansas, who's a top team. <laughs> And the SEC and, and I guess Janice Dells, who's the top pitcher or a top pitcher in the SEC. Like I'm, I'm interested, although Skylar Wallace will play Ole Miss this weekend. So that might help her numbers out a little bit. Okay. Yeah. SEC pitcher of the year. Here we go. Player A, a 1-0-1 ERA, a 6-0 record, 48 and two thirds innings pitched, 18 walks to 57 strikeouts, and an 094 OBA. Player B, a 116 ERA, 8 and 2 record, 84 and a third innings pitched, 19 walks to 101 strikeouts, and a 154 OBA. And player C, a 131 ERA, 8 and 4 record, 85 and 2 thirds innings pitched, 18 walks to 112 Ks, and a 167 opposing batting average. Man, that's really hard. That's when I'd want to ask some personal things on the Love is Blind show of like, so what do you look like? Or um, <laughs> could I, could I, uh, could I get on your shoulders? Like, would you be able to support me? Like that one person, <laughs> you remember that? Great. Yes. Love is Blind. And they're like, would you, if we were at a concert, like, would you be able to get on my shoulders? Like trying to figure out weight and size and stuff. So it's like, I feel like I need a little bit more attention here. How much money would you spend at a possibly canceled Morgan Wallen concert? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. What yeah. what type of hotel do you like to stay at if we're on vacation? Um, this is really hard. Um, the player A has some legit stats in SEC, but I probably would go with, I guess, B. I'd go with B. Amanda goes with B. The doors have opened, and player B is Maddie Penta from Auburn. Yeah. Yes, player A, Ashley Rogers, player C, Montana Fouts. Wow. Okay, that was hard. And oh, that was hard. And that's where, you know, it's really going to come down to, I, I feel like, innings pitched. I mean, you know, Tennessee is a complete staff, and Penta and Fouts just pitched so much more. Uh, and I also think too, like, I want to know if, if you were a coach voting, like how big of a, how big of a part does it play with where your team finishes in SEC play? Like, are, are we talking, that's like a third of what you're looking at, like a 10th, like a 50%, like, is it important for where you finish? Because we know that Florida's not going to finish up at the top. Um, when I'm thinking about Skylar Wallace and it looks like Tennessee will, right? So it's like. Skylar Wallace, I think by far, like, I think would get everybody's vote right now. And that's why I think it's important to see how this thing finishes out, how Kiki Milloy plays these next two weeks. Like if they're going to finish at the top of the SEC, that might sway some votes. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, like uh, Wallace this week was the D1 softball national player of the week and didn't even win SEC player of the week. I think where the team for these type of awards, where the team finishes is kind of like a tiebreaker. Yeah. Um, which is why. Penta might have the edge over Fouts just because, you know, we're just coming off of a series where in a head to head matchup, Penta won. Right. So, yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. And, um, man, I was thinking of another good point, but I was listening to your good point. <laughs> so, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I do think that that stuff matters. And, um, I think if you take Penta or Fouts both off of the team, then that, that makes a huge difference for Auburn. And that makes a huge difference for Alabama. So if you go that route, um, and you know, thinking about SEC player of the year, if you take Skyler off of Florida, what does that look like? If you take Kiki Malloy off of Tennessee, what does that look like? Like how big of an impact, um, that's what Madison Shipman was talking about on the broadcast too this weekend. So just something else to think about. It's interesting. But I think Skylar has played just out of her mind, though. It's just been unreal. But you don't want to punish people for being on good teams right. either. So it's right. kind of, you know, it's it, it's a it's a tough situation all the way around. I know. Uh, basically, we're saying we don't know. Right. But we're going to keep on playing softball <laughs> is blind because this is the interesting one. SEC freshman of the year. If we had, in fact, we did do the votes a couple weeks ago on the midseason boxes. Carlin Pickens was the only name we mentioned. We went on with our lives. Well, it's a little bit more wide open. And so now, Amanda, we turn to you on the other side of the blue screen with your golden chalice cup. Here we go. Player A, a 2.62 ERA, 4 and 3 record, 50 and 2 thirds innings, 17 walks to 47 Ks, and a 2.28 OBA. Player B, a 2.39 ERA. Five and two record, 38 innings, 23 walks to 47 strikeouts, and a 184 opposing batting average. And player C, 21 of 63 for a 333 batting average, 11 runs scored, one double, one triple, six RBIs, and a 373 OBP. And I feel as though we should do a player, player D of the field. 
somebody that we don't mention because there's still a few other freshmen that could make a run here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how nobody's really pulled away with this this year. Um, like it's I'm looking at those year. numbers yeah. and I'm like, yeah, those are good. But like, there's not one that to me like stands out kind of like, just like the picture of the year. Like that one was hard to look at and think of who to pick. Um, this is the hardest of them all. I would probably say a, I don't feel good about any of it. Is that a final answer? How many, what, one more, how many home runs does player C have? None. Oh, hmm. <laughs> um, cut it. <laughs> uh, actually, no, no, no. I'm going, I'm going player B final answer. Wow. Okay. So you made the switch at the last moment to Tennessee's Carlin Pickens. Player A is LSU's Sidney Burzon. And player C is Reagan Johnson from Arkansas, who you will see this weekend. Yeah, they're they're all, you know, really talented freshmen. It's just funny how like there's not a big power hitter that jumps off the page to be a part of this. I guess maybe that person is in the field that maybe we just didn't catch or something, but not one just tops out, right? Like you think of like Megan Grant at UCLA, Jordan Woolery, like there are some really talented freshmen. Um interesting. I think Burjan is really good for LSU too. I think this kind of that kind of goes along with what's happened in the SEC and kind of the nationally as a whole is that it's been a year of the pitcher. The pitchers have been, you know, more dominant than than the hitters. There are some good hitters and good offenses out there, but you know, there's there's been a lot more dominant pitchers, I think, on the whole. Yeah. All right, Amanda, like we're going to do... I feel like if anybody's mind could figure it out, it would be Tom, and with the way that your mind works. Yeah. Tom's mind is more Jeopardy steered, and ours, Gray, is more like, let's watch Love is Blind. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, we're stealing second with Amanda Scarborough playing softball is blind. We're going to do one more. So okay. I've got options for a rundown of national pitcher of the year or national player of the year i will let you choose amanda which one do you want pitcher of the year i'm shocked that the former pitcher more so because i've been looking so much of the stats of the national player of the year and the like more hitters like i just feel like i know those stats better so i don't i want to go into this blind okay well that's the point of the game here we go softball <laughs> is blind national pitcher of the year player a is zero Four five ERA, thirteen and O record, seventy seven and a third innings pitched, twenty five walks to hundred and five strikeouts, one forty five OBA. Player B, .73 ERA, fourteen and O record, seventy six and a third innings pitched, eleven walks to eighty seven strikeouts, one forty two OBA. Player C, a .86 ERA, 22 and 3, 147 innings pitched, 25 walks, 152 strikeouts, a 164 OBA. Player D, a .80 ERA, 13 and 1, 96 innings, 26 walks to 136 strikeouts, and a 114 opposing batting average. Two more. Player E, a 110 ERA, 17 and three record, 114 and two thirds innings pitched, 12 walks, 69 strikeouts, a 184 opposing batting average. And finally, player F, I think I did the alphabet right, 120 ERA, 
24 and 2 record, 140 innings pitched, 27 walks to 200 strikeouts, and a 159 opposing batting average. This is when like it really does matter like what teams you've pitched against and like to be able to like see those bigger things, you know, because it's like it's so hard to tell. But if you could go back and look at some of these wins and such, um, it you know, it really does make a difference. The one that that I would pick um, would either let's, let's say I know I can't say either or I'd go with F. I'm always tempted to go with a pitcher that has more innings. So Montana. <laughs> no, I wish. No, you went with Megan Faramo from UCLA. Yeah. Okay. Have you, have you heard of her? Yes. <laughs> She's very good. Who is your second option? I'm just curious. Uh, my second option, I was looking at player C. As Valerie Cagle. Cagle. Also, uh, as I look at uh, player A and B in that picture, those were both Oklahoma pitchers, and Nicole May was A and Alex Straka was B. Amanda, will you sign my petition to keep Oklahoma from signing any transfer players here for the next year or two? Uh, uh-uh. I'm not doing that. I'm not saying <laughs> Oklahoma. I'm not signing anything. I, uh, I am an unbiased source here. So we all know who would be in your mentions the moment you sign that paper. <laughs> Name them all. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Amanda, thank you for accepting our proposal, sight unseen, and preparing to get married in 20 days. Have That show is ridiculous. I'm <laughs> listing the plot out now. What an insane concept that apparently works a good bit. Well, what's more difficult, love is blind or married at first sight? Because married at first sight is actually probably even more insane because at least the love is blind people get to talk to each other. Married at first sight, you show up, it is your wedding day, and you're getting married to somebody that the experts pick for you after taking tests and interviewing people, and they just match you up that way. So that might be more insane, right? It's actually how Tom and Jennifer got right, together. Of course, right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was not a five-year courtship. No. <laughs> um, can, can you say no? Can you, like, can you get there and like start to walk down the aisle and say no thank you and run away? That's a good question. I haven't watched that show in a long time and I've been so caught up in love is blind. And I know you can say no at the altar for that one. I think, I don't think I've ever seen somebody say no. Wow. <laughs> it's shock, right? Like you, or I'm walking up to the aisle and you're like, or I'm walking down the aisle. If I'm marrying you, it's like, we've never seen each other before. And we're about to just do it. Like, well, we're about to get married. Well, we'll see what else happens. Yeah. <laughs> The chemistry could be off the charts. (laughs) Oh, man, that is a perfect way to wrap up our segment with the great Amanda Scarborough. Scarborough, always good to see you. We will see you in Fayetteville in a few weeks for the SEC tournament. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel like the next few weeks, I'll just be living in the central part of the world between Fayetteville, Stillwater, and then Fayetteville again. So can't wait. Hope you have a good rental car. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Yeah, thanks, guys. So there we go. That's Amanda. That was really fun. I enjoyed I enjoyed hearing her perspective on what stats she's looking for. Part of the reason I wanted to play that game is as we get into award season with softball, we start to ask the question, right, what are the coaches looking for? And it was interesting to hear the media aspect, what pitching stats in particular stuck out to Amanda. Yeah, I mean, there's always, everyone has their their pet stat, the one that they really look at. And I think a lot of the times... Because so many, you know, we as we look at these blind resumes, 
you know, there is a lot of similarities. It's hard to find. So you got to find what stat is that one that is going to be your tiebreaker. Uh, and I think that's kind of, it's very important to see which ones those are. Wow, that's a perfect jump into my tiebreakers that I had to use for bracketology this week. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, man, are you kidding? Do you know how long it took this week? It was like a two and a half hour process, which I hope is not... I, I hope the committee goes longer. Yeah, I but, surely the goodness. But I was surprised at how much deep thought I had to go into and how much prayer and consideration I... Yeah. Much prayer and considering I did for this bracket. And, and now we've had some upsets in the midweek. Right, and so it's all like, I want to burn it already. <laughs> what the heck, Longwood? I mean, hooray, but like, dang. Yeah. You couldn't have waited an hour? Oh, man. Bracketology's next when we round third here on the Out of the Box podcast. We're picking up speed. Welcome back to the show. We're rounding third here on the Out of the Box podcast with Trey and Tom. In some ways, I feel as though we're running right through the stop sign. But, well, you know. sometimes you do what you have to do. <laughs> I don't remember any night of recording where I've had Bracketology at the ready. And I've literally been adjusting the packet mid-recording. Yeah. But as we sit here in the studio, we have watched Liberty walk off Clemson. We have watched Longwood walk off Duke. And just a moment ago, as we record, we watched as Florida State defeated Florida in Tallahassee. So before we get into the bracketology, I just wanted to provide a little disclaimer. I obviously do not know how tonight's results will change the metrics. Right. That would be impressive, but I don't. (laughs) So I am going to read you the list as it was coming into the day. No changes made. I'll maybe verbalize a couple of the impacts that the losses could have. But overall, this is where it stood as of mm, five o'clock local time. Okay. All right. So here we go. And then we'll I'll go, allow it. Thank you. Yes. And then we'll go through the tier system. I'll let you know who's in good spots as it stands right now. But first, your top 16 seeds. One, Oklahoma. Two, UCLA. Three, Tennessee. Four, Oklahoma State. Five, Florida State. Six, Stanford. Seven, Duke. Eight, LSU. Nine, Georgia. 10, Texas, 11, Washington, 12, Arkansas, 13, Alabama, 14, Northwestern, 15, Clemson, 16, Florida. As you can imagine, tonight's results might have switched a couple things on the 8-9 border and the 15-16 border, but again, we'll get to that next week. Your potential Supers matchups would be 116, Oklahoma, Florida. Still there. Yeah. 215 UCLA Clemson, 314 Tennessee Northwestern, 413 Oklahoma State Alabama. I think Alabama fans probably wouldn't be as upset about that as they might have been two weeks ago. Yeah. 512 Florida State Arkansas, 611 Stanford Washington, 710 Duke Texas, 89 LSU Georgia. Hmm. All right. What do you want to do first? Do you want to do the tier system or do you want to ask questions? Let's do the tier system. All right, so here we go. Super safe. These are the teams that right now I think no matter what they're hosting supers. Oklahoma, UCLA, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, Florida State, Stanford. Feel pretty good about it. Okay. Supers bubble. 
these are the teams that I think are on the fringe and could maybe sneak up and grab the last two spots. Duke, LSU, Georgia, and Texas. Regional safe. These are the teams that I think are good to be a top 16 seed. Top eight unlikely. Washington, Arkansas, Northwestern, and I'm going to put Alabama in there. I think they were helped by some of the results tonight. So I think right now Alabama is in a safe spot, barring something horrible happening. And like, I'm talking like swept out. Right. I would suggest that not happening. Yes. I recommend that as well. Okay. Regionals bubble, Clemson. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Florida, Mm -hmm. Oregon, Louisiana, Auburn, and Baylor. And they're not in the packet, but watch out for Utah. They got UCLA this weekend. Say they win that series. Say they even sweep. We could be talking about the Utes kind of pulling a Missouri from last year and swooping in at the last minute and swiping a spot. But there you go, Tom. That's all the data. Ask me questions. Because uh, I can hear right now the Auburn fans complaining about us Bammers having Alabama at number 13 and Auburn still outside looking in resume-wise despite Auburn winning the series and having now a better overall and conference record than Alabama. Why? Okay. Well, first of all, all the metrics are better for Alabama. We're talking RPI, Alabama's 12, Auburn 19, SOS, Alabama 3, Auburn 15, non-con SOS, Alabama 11, Auburn 47. Keep in mind that there were two things that I switched into don't give a damn mode this year, and that was... Conference champions and head-to-head. I'm not even looking at it. Right. Unless it is extremely tight and I have to, I'm not caring about how these teams are playing because for the most part, the committee has shown they don't really care about that. And when you look at Alabama and Auburn's resume, Alabama's resume is better. You've got four RPI top 10 wins compared to two. Six and eight versus the RPI top 25 compared to six for 10. Well, you know, you'll take... Six for eight, better than six for 10. Alabama with 12 RPI top 50 wins and more top 100 wins than the Tigers. Alabama with also better high-end wins. Florida State, Tennessee, Duke, Texas, Arkansas. Auburn does have two wins over LSU, two wins over Alabama. At Georgia, they got one. At Florida, they got one. And then you have to go outside the top 25 for the next round of key wins. Alabama's average RPI of wins is 84. Auburn's is 110. So if you just look at the overall picture, Alabama's resume is better than Auburn's. However, Auburn has done incredible things the last two weeks to put themselves in this position to where they're even on the regionals bubble and a strong finish to this year. Again, I mean, we just talked about this. Clemson hurt themselves tonight. Florida hurt themselves tonight. Both teams lost. Who knows what's going to happen this weekend, but 15 and 16 is vulnerable. So you can swoop in there and maybe grab one of those last seeds with a good weekend here and a good weekend there to close it out. I I was just playing literally the devil's advocate (laughs) on that one. Um, Looking at Oklahoma State, again, we talked about them earlier that they are on a five-game losing streak. They still have the series against Oklahoma to play as well. Uh, You say that they are currently super safe. Is there a scenario where they, they fall uh, out of the top eight? Mm, unlikely. They've got so many top 50 wins and a good number of top 25 wins. Although interestingly, you know, not as much as some of the teams around them, but 
for the most part, they've avoided the bad losses. At the end of the day, you've lost five straight before those have been to top 25 teams. So it's not like they're bad losses. It just looks bad collectively. I think that we have to keep in mind, kind of like what we were doing last year with Alabama. When you look at the overall picture, it's much better for Oklahoma State than maybe the last week and a half have been. Now, if they continue to struggle... And this weekend, they go to Lubbock and take on a Texas Tech team that has been scrappy, mm-hmm. but is outside the top 70, I believe, at last check in the RPI. So I will buttress a little bit on saying that there is no shot that they fall out of a top eight. I think you sweep this series, even if you get swept at home by Oklahoma, you're probably fine. But again, I, I feel fairly confident that Oklahoma State will be a top eight seed once we get there. Is there a scenario where Tennessee moves to two? No, I don't think so. I mean, look at look at that. 29 RPI top 50 wins for UCLA. Now, the best thing that Tennessee has is 16 top 25 wins. That's the most of anybody outside of Oklahoma. It's very, very good, but they don't have a lot in the 26 to 50 range, so it's going to be really hard for the overall profile to catch up to what UCLA has. Plus, keep in mind, the one thing that continues to bug me about Tennessee, and it's what makes me a little uncomfortable that I have them as high as I do, 104 non-conference strength of schedule. I don't know if the committee would feel comfortable sticking somebody with a metric that bad, that high. So if the committee still has some of the uh, thoughts that they've had in previous years, Tennessee might still need to win the SEC tournament to solidify top three, top four. Yeah, which is so dumb. Ridiculous. But maybe, you know, Florida State right now in position to sweep through the ACC and maybe the ACC tournament. They've won seven of the last eight Mm. ACC tournaments. So they're going to be tough in that spot. Oklahoma State, I mean, they're always dangerous just because they have Oklahoma still on the schedule. And you grab one Oklahoma game, that is like gold. Oh, for sure. So while three is a great spot right now, it feels tentative, and I could see Tennessee, honestly, depending on how hard they wanted to hit them for that non-con SOS, anywhere from three to six. I could see them saying, we're going to bump you an extra spot because what did you do out of the SEC? Yeah. Since they don't care about conference standings Apparently, or anything like that. Right, yeah. Silly. <laughs> just just Agreed. ludicrous. I, I'm not a fan. I'm just, yeah. I've studied the data, and I'm working off that. Sure. And then as we've talked about, you know, somebody like a Duke who just lost to Longwood, how how much would that hurt them? And then who, who do they have left that can kind of re-solidify them? The Longwood loss is not, quote unquote, bad. I classify that as anything outside the top 100. Longwood 69 in the RPI. That's nice. That's fine. Yeah. But it's not helpful. And then you've got one series left at Pitt. So who continues to inexplicably give people a hard time in the ACC? Yeah, Clemson just scratching and clawing. Yeah, to get past the Panthers. So it's not the best finish for the Dukies. We'll see what their ACC tournament draw is, but again, you know, when you're not super safe, that means I think that there is a good, if not very good, chance that you can fall out of the top eight spot, I think the Duke is as vulnerable as anybody. And again, a big part of it is I also just think people don't think they're that good. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much Duke passes the eye test. 
they pass the record tests. They've beaten teams. I mean, they've, you know, they've won five games against the RPI top 25. There are a couple profile holes here and there that when you look deep enough, you see. But, I mean, you drop a game to Pitt, then we're probably talking about LSU passing you if they win a game or two in Tuscaloosa. And Georgia and Texas are just waiting, just yeah. waiting right there. Georgia has so many quality wins, and they finish off conference play with and you've got LSU coming up next weekend. I mean, that that's only going to help everything. So sure. yeah. Georgia, LSU, and Texas are all going to be waiting there should Duke fall. And again, I'm not recalibrating the numbers tonight, but they might have with that Longwood loss earlier. There we go. I think we're good. Feel good about it? I do. There we go. Literally, I, I can't wait to change it now. I mean, we <laughs> joke about it'll be all different next week. No, in the morning, yeah, it'll probably right. adjust. Okay. Big games happening this week. We've already talked about tonight. Liberty walks off Clemson. Florida State defeats Florida. And last check, Baylor and Texas State ended due to weather. Baylor wins. Three nothing in six. Can't blow a lead in the seventh if you only play six. Yeah, we thinking. There we go. And then of course Longwood beating Duke. So really important weekend across the country, Tom. Let's do our thing and pick one for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Look at what's going on in the ACC this weekend. Uh, Clemson at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, not sure what's happening with them. And then Clemson, not sure what's happening with them. These are two teams. You know, we talked about Florida State. We talked about Duke. uh, But, you know, part of the depth of this conference is what Clemson and Virginia Tech are able to do. They have some of the best pitchers in the country, but not always pitching like it. How are they going to respond to some disappointments here in the midweek? Might I recommend that Virginia Tech stop allowing home runs? Just give that a shot. See 47 home runs allowed this year. So I don't think we didn't mention Marshall beat Virginia yeah, Tech yesterday. That is also helpful to Alabama. So actually a lot going Alabama's way this week, which makes me buttress a bit. <laughs> what could go wrong? Buttress. But, you know, we'll see. All right. I'm going to look at Indiana and Michigan. This is a big one in the Big Ten, but specifically, I want to make sure that we shout out Carol Hutchins Field, officially named ceremony everything last week, prior to Michigan, just absolutely taking a stick of dynamite to the Northwestern Wildcats, 15 nothing yeah. in five innings. And now this weekend, they get the Indiana Hoosiers, who are back to normal a bit, starting to play better the last few weekends. Hoosiers still have a chance at the Big Ten title, but can't mess around against old Big Blue. Uh, for Saturday, uh, I think we should start to take, we mentioned it earlier, but I think that UCLA-Utah series is just massive. You know, UCLA has clinched a share and would just needs to win one game to win the Pac-12, but um, the fact that Utah is, is still within striking distance at this point says a lot about the Utes. Absolutely. Utah, again, one of those teams I would not want to see in a regional. Nebraska and Northwestern. This is the other big Big Ten series. Northwestern up three games in the lost column on Nebraska. It's at Northwestern. But the Huskers have been playing really well lately, and Northwestern has had some offensive issues in conference play. Now, they're 15-2. You might say, what are you talking about? But if you look deeper at the stats, they're just not as consistent across the board on the offensive side in conference play as one would hope. Nebraska has played a lot better in the last few months. We'll see if Ronda Rebel can get the corn children ready to roll near the Chicago area. 
And I think on Sunday, mentioned we talked about it just a little while ago in bracketology, but that Oklahoma State Texas Tech series. How do the cowgirls bounce back after uh, five and five losses in a row? And we'll see where they're at on Sunday. Oregon and Cal. I can't remember if I read the first four out in bracketology. I don't think I did. My bad. The first team out right now is Oregon. And so we just talked about how 15 and 16 are soft. Eric Lopez, Brady Vernon, they both have Oregon in. I had Oregon out, but you win a road series at Cal, you could fill in those spots should Florida and Clemson mess around this weekend. So I think this series against the Bears is very, very critical for the Ducks. In fact, while I'm thinking about it, let me just let me read the first four. Yes. Just to make sure. It's Oregon, Louisiana, Auburn, and Baylor. So there you go. Auburn, you're almost there. You're almost, in a good spot. Yeah. Louisiana, we're just waiting for that RPI to go down. If it doesn't, then we start to, you know, start having to need to talk about the Cajuns maybe hosting as well as LSU. Mm. We'll see. All right, there we go. You ready to head home? Sure. We need to make picks. We need to dive into off the wall. And for the love of God, we need to do Tom's Hungry. <laughs> That's what we got to give the people what they want, Gray. Where did we eat pizza? Everywhere. Yes. We'll tell you about it, among many other things, when we return here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the show. We are heading home just like we have on so many road trips of late. Tom, are you enjoying the fact that we're just like at home this week? Yeah, but the the family like trying to relearn my name and face at this point, so I'm very excited for that. You got to go to a recital and a play yeah, on yeah. Saturday night, which was great. Yeah, Chloe was Joy the stepsister in uh, Northridge High School's production of Cinderella. Yeah. And then this weekend, uh, Emily is a uh, a bad girl or big girl. I can't remember what they're called exactly, but in uh, Matilda in Children's Theater. Oh, so, it could be either. Yeah. Honestly. So, yeah. So uh, really excited for that too. So happy that it worked out schedule wise that I'll be home for both those. Yes, that's really great. Yeah. And I will go to nothing because I notoriously live alone. <laughs> so that's fine. Sure. It's okay. That's okay. We're all going to be together at the Rhodes House. It'll right. be a great time. That's one of the series that we're going to pick here as we head home, but that'll be coming later. Okay. Tom. Yes. Let's first look at the standings. With like six differences last week, we still tied the week. Tom, you lead 19 to 15. I mean, I thought for sure when I saw, when we tweeted out our picks, I saw how many differences there were. I was like, we're ever going to be tied after this one or I'm going to have an insurmountable lead. No. Nope. But yet, no. No, neither. <laughs> so many things we picked. The other option happened. Yes. We both got Arkansas 2-1. Hooray for us. I got A&M 2-1. You picked a sweep, LSU-Mississippi State, and you got that right. I think the one thing that we need to be doing more is picking more sweeps. Apparently so. Sweeps used to be hard to come by. What happened? I know that. And I and oddly, they still are, but they happen a lot. I don't. Yeah. It's, it's a weird situation. It's hard to get them, but yes. whatever. 
Will there be a sweep in Auburn at South Carolina? Again, because of the tie, honors on the tee box still go to you. Tigers at the Gamecocks, who you got? I'm going to officially jump back off the South Carolina bandwagon and go Auburn 2-1. Auburn playing really well. Matty Penta, as good as anybody in the conference, if not the country. Um, and I, it's, it's hard for me to see South Carolina beating Matty Penta, definitely not twice, and I don't think and once will be an issue as well. Yeah, I, I mean, the old adage, can't hit Matty Penta, probably works here. I was unimpressed by the Shelby Lowe and Annabelle Weidra show that we got in game one. Shelby Lowe just still not back yet, and it's such a shame. But at that, I mean, I can't I can't confidently pick Auburn to sweep until those two start pitching better. I mean, I thought Mickey Dean should have pitched her again on Sunday, but no one listened to me. <laughs> well, I mean, you would have had my vote there. <laughs> Let's force your number two to All pitch right. twice. Do it. I've always said. Yes. Ole Miss at Florida. Do we feel better about a Florida team that enters this series losers of four in a row? It's 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 weird because yeah they've lost four in a row but they haven't particularly played poorly in any of the four games right um, but uh, well they didn't get one rolled into one but still very hard to trust Ole Miss not that Florida is real trustworthy either this is what a very toss up type series but I'm gonna say because it's in Gainesville I'm gonna say Florida two one. Might consider a sweep, but I'm going to say 2-1. I got to make moves. We're going with the sweep. Oh. I was thinking it. Mm. I think if you're Alabama, this is not what you want. The last thing that you want is next weekend a desperate Ole Miss team. Yeah. Because a sweep would put the Rebels at 27-24, and 24, meaning one more sweep would potentially knock them out of the NCAA tournament. So you're probably hoping for Tom to be right if you're Alabama. I think based off of what Texas A&M did – to Ole Miss's pitching staff. Florida's offense is playing well. Skyler is on another level. And I don't trust Ole Miss's offense to take advantage of Florida's pitching mistakes often enough to win a game in this series. So I'm taking the Gators 3-0. Could okay. be foolish, but I'm doing it. Sure. All right. Kentucky at Mississippi State. Here's where I'm going to pick the sweep. Wow. Are you? I am. I'm going to say Kentucky does it. Kentucky 3-0. Because, man, Mississippi State. How can you pick? I mean, at some point, but maybe not. There's only six games left. So Kentucky 2-1. Unless Stephanie Schoonover is back, I don't feel good about a sweep at all. Well, I mean. Mississippi State is going to win one at some point. Why would you think that? I don't know. (laughs) I just, maybe. Yeah. Watch Mississippi State win the series. Hot sauce is on the comeback trail. They are. Watch them put a like word file of this great commentary yes. <laughs> up in the locker room. We love you, Samantha Riggins. We We're a big fan. And I'm picking you to win a game, but not the series. I'm taking the Cats 2-1. If Stephanie Schoonover comes back, I will feel uneasy about this pick. I'm going to say it doesn't matter who's pitching. Oh, well done. Yes. Missouri at Texas A&M. Another series that Missouri probably needs to grab at least a game. Yeah. I think they grab one, but that's it. I think A&M wins 2-1, and it kind of solidifies that Mississippi State-Missouri play-in game in the SEC tournament. I'm going to take A&M 2-1. I thought about mm. taking the Tigers. No, I'm switching. Oh, late switch. Lauren Krings. Waffle. Ride the – yes. <laughs> Ride the train. <laughs> 
Waffle. <laughs> my God. Waffling. I'm taking Missouri 2-1. Lauren Kring's pitching really well. She is. Got some confidence back against North Texas. A&M has been meh of late, even though they won the Ole Miss series. I, I just I think that this is kind of that time of year where we see Missouri start to gel a little bit more. We've seen it throughout the Larissa Anderson era. I think the Tigers win this series at Davis Diamond. Okay. Our final SEC series, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. This is the big one for the weekend. Tennessee at Arkansas. If you look back, I have picked Tennessee to lose two straight series. You have. They have done neither. No. Uh, only a crazy person would pick Tennessee to lose a third straight series in this situation. Some people would say, oh, I'm going to say Arkansas 2-1. One, because of uh, the now uncertainty in the Tennessee pitching staff. Fair. And I think the series means more to Arkansas than it does Tennessee at this point. If I told you right now that Ashley Rogers is 100% good to go, would that change your pick? Yes. Okay. That's fair. But I don't know that. I mean, Karen, Karen is not listening to my phone call. Y'all aren't DMing. <laughs> okay. I'm taking Tennessee 2 1. It's a safe bet. You could argue the safe bet is a Tennessee sweep. But I think Amanda made the great points about Shanice Dels and how that matchup could be interesting. Again, we haven't really seen a pitcher whose strengths played two Tennessee's weaknesses in the last few weekends. Yeah. So I could see Dels taking one, and that's what I'll pick. Tennessee 2-1. Okay. All right, out to the pack. UCLA at Utah, Tom. Utes need a sweep. Are they going to get one? I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. (laughs) I do think they win one game, though. Maybe in the Friday game. Uh, But then I think UCLA takes care of the business moving forward, so I'm going to say UCLA 2-1. I'm exactly with you. I think they probably grab a game, maybe against Faramos, giving up a long ball. But, again, you heard Amanda talk about how – at Utah, ball doesn't typically fly there. It's a little bit bigger park. Yeah. Utah's pitching staff has not been the strength, and UCLA's offense right now is on a tear. So it's hard to see a world where Utah gets the necessary sweep to claim a share of the Pac-12 title, let alone win the series. But this is a, I'll take the Bruins. But it's a Utah team that did sweep Stanford. True. At home, you know, in, in the last couple. But which of weeks. offense do you trust more? Sure, Stanford's or UCLA? One hundred percent. Right. Which is why I'm not picking them to win the series, but yeah. I think they have enough to win one. Yeah. Clemson and Virginia Tech. Speaking of trust. Man. Who do you trust here? Can they both lose? I'm not sure. They how. might find a right. way. I'm not sure how. They can both be one two in the series, but it's possible. I would still trust Cagle more than what Virginia Tech, you know, Limley just giving up the home runs left and right. Say Clemson sweeps. Wow. In all of our picks every week, there is a sweep that is shocking that happens that has and I think this is going to be that one for this one. I, I at this point I'm going to try to pick it. Interesting. That would that would give Clemson a bounce in profiles, but but Virginia Tech is in that super weird spot where they're 25th in the RPI. So you would love to sweep them, right? But at the same time, if you sweep them, they're probably leaving the top 25 in the RPI. So while helping yourself, you're hurting, hurting yourself, yourself a little bit. Which is best case scenario for people like Alabama for Clemson. Exactly. I'm taking Clemson 2-1. I'm really doing this to help Alabama. Yeah. Clemson 2-1. Okay. All right. At Virginia Tech, I mean, I know that didn't make a difference in the Florida State series where Virginia Tech got swept. (laughs) But, I mean, Clemson's just not playing well right now. Yeah. So, 
I think Emma Limley is able to be Emma Limley for one game and get all the strikeouts and maybe like a three-hit shutout or maybe a three-hit, one-run-allowed game where that one run was a solo home run, right. something like that. That goes like 290 feet. Sure. <laughs> just yes. destroyed the strikeout. exactly what she's done all year. Right. The final series is LSU at Alabama. I am going to pick this with the thought, the hope, the prayer that Ashley Prangy is good to go and can participate fully in this weekend series. That being the case, I'm going to say Alabama wins two games to one. If Prangy is not available this weekend, I would consider going the other way with it. I think Alabama, again, as we talked about, disappointing this past weekend, it's been an up and down year in general. They have usually in these type of situations, a weekend or a week goes the way it does. They have, you know, bounced back and played pretty well uh, for at least, you know, a, a few games. So I'm going to uh, go with that. And, you know, the there's a little bit of uh, mistrust in what's going on with LSU right now as well. Uh, so I'm going to say Alabama 2 ones it. I'm going to agree. I don't think there's going to be a sweep either way. I don't trust LSU to sweep. They swept Mississippi State. That's great. Who among us has not? Sure. I don't trust Alabama to sweep because, really? Yeah. Why would I Why would I believe that? Injuries are going to be a big story all weekend long, and if Prangy doesn't come back, I would lean LSU. But coin flip, I'm going to trust the home crowd. I think the home crowd is going to make an impact. It is not often that we see LSU come to Tuscaloosa and win series. They've owned things in Baton Rouge, and that's why the overall record skews towards the Tigers. But for the most part, Alabama's done well at home against the Bayou Bengals. So I am taking Alabama cautiously, 2-1 over LSU. I I am right there with you. I got to say, Tom, first off, a lot of differences. Should be a great week. Yes. Second off, do you know how insane you would have to be to say something dumb so dumb that it ends up on off the wall after one of the sadder Sundays we've had on the air in a long time. Because there's a lot of legitimate criticisms to be voiced and had. Listen to the first segment of this podcast. Things can be tweaked for sure. Yes. Discussions can be had. But some people just have no interest in doing that. No. Play the drop. It's time for off the wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels with the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. All right, as usual, Tom, I'll let you go first if you want. Well, I guess kind of goes back to uh, what we were talking about last week uh, with the weather situations. <laughs> Again, we're not uh, waiting to cancel games to see how far you can drive before that cancellation happens. This week... You know, obviously the later first pitch because of television was an eight o'clock first pitch on Friday. Right. Um, so obviously the thought is 
well, you knew that weather was coming. It was literally coming in right at eight o'clock. Yeah, all the forecasts had that. Is you know, we were hoping it would it would hold off or it would just come through real quickly. And as we arrived at the stadium, looked, it looked as good as it had all yeah, day. Looked like it was going to happen. Uh, but then the thought was, well, why not just move it back? Which I understand having that question and and, and even saying that, we'll just play earlier. Why are we playing so late? Play earlier, and then the the off the wallness of it is that even when it's explained to these to the to the to the commenters why we why we couldn't move it back because television that that was the time slot we were set for tv right the sec network had a baseball game on before us yep that was happening regardless so that eight o'clock was when the only time it could be on tv so that's when we were slated to play we couldn't play it earlier but then to continue to complain about it after that's been explained to you but then probably you know, the week before you were complaining about not being on TV. Right. Can't have it both ways. You got to pick one. You're right. Do you want to see Alabama on TV or do you want to move up the games and put them on the plus that none of you can figure out how to pull up <laughs> so that we can actually play? Make a decision. Right. Pick one. Yes. This is not it. an and. It's an either or. Yeah. Accept the explanation when it's given to you is, yeah. is basically the note I'm giving here on the off the wall. Okay. Uh, but the other one I was going to mention, uh, this is... A little bit of a uh, an unusual off the wall, sure. But the off the wall, we got the ratings in for Sunday's Alabama Auburn game on on the regular on the mothership, uh, and it was the third most watched uh, softball game this regular season. So my off the wall comment is: softball is obviously building this huge fan base. You know, when, you know, it's going up head to head with college baseball, it's going up head to head with uh, spring football, but football still nonetheless. Yeah. You know, it's it's going up against all, and just crushing it ratings wise. Build facilities that can handle it. This for everybody. Put more seats in, build bigger press boxes, put in hardline Internet, <laughs> do all these things to make it easy for ESPN or whoever, all the there's streaming, all these different sports services to put your games out there for people to watch. Don't make it so dang hard. <laughs> Build facilities that are capable of handling it because people will come and watch the games and people will watch it on a well, a well facilitated broadcast. So build bigger facilities. Everybody. Also, charge admission. People will pay it. Mm -hmm. Don't gouge people, but five, ten bucks. Okay, Tom. Every year in the Southeastern Conference, mm. we do something called All for Alex Day. It's yes. a great thing in honor of Alex Wilcox, who yes. passed away, lost her fight with ovarian cancer, but her legacy lives on in the Southeastern Conference. It's a great cause. Everybody in the league wears teal in some capacity on this day. Once every year, just once. Every year, and we've One been doing time. it for five years at least, right? She passed away in 18, so I think it started in 19 moving forward. Yeah, so yearly tradition, I hope it will continue to be that. Indeed. Every year, mm -hmm. people show up when Alabama wears the teal, and they say something ridiculous, and here are some of the best. <laughs> when the telecast began, and I saw those teal and white uniforms, I thought they were Coastal Carolina, and I had the wrong game on. Please tell me this is not Bama's attempt at introducing a new green initiative. 
Please wow. stick to your traditional colored uniforms. Teal and white are not winning colors for you. Roll Tide. <laughs> First off, <laughs> that's a lot of negative to end with Roll Tide. As if sure. like, this is positive. Yeah. No. Yeah. Second, Google? Right. Have some clue about what is happening. G- Google. Yeah. Why Why is Alabama in a teal uniform? I bet something pops up. Sure. The SEC tweeted it. It's on the websites. Alabama put out stuff. I know it was covered on our broadcast. I know Courtney Lyle and Daniel Laurie talked about it on theirs. It's not a surprise anymore. Yeah. The teal uniforms for all for Alex Day are here to stay. I think everybody in the league sure. would tell you that they should be here to stay. Yeah. It's not as, you know, woven in the fabric fabric as, you know, the power of pink game is yet, but you know, it it will be. And the only reason why it's not at this point is because other sports aren't doing it. It's right. just it's just a softball thing. I mean, you would think by this point, you know, that you would you know, realize, okay, this is the teal game. And to jump to the it's a political statement being made, <laughs> it's quite quite the leap. Oh, man. But also, one yeah. last little nugget here. Sure. Teal and white are not winning colors for you. I saw a lot of people blaming the uniforms for Alabama losing. Promise you that was not why Alabama lost to Auburn that no. day. Teal jerseys, not why Alabama lost, and it's a thing every year. If you don't understand that by now, then right. you need to just log off or use the Google or, or again, get a life. Or have an unexpressed thought, Yeah, which is still my running theme throughout all of off the wall this year it's okay to have an unexpressed thought you don't have to make a comment about everything oh but they did and they continued why in the world is bama wearing blue jersey and socks look stupid bama is crimson and white comma exclamation point what are we doing (laughs) have we stopped teaching grammar in schools kinda but I copied and pasted that. I'm pretty sure this person was in school when they still taught the grammar, considering the age. Uh, But and also possible colorblindness, because those jerseys aren't blue. Can we can we just break this down? (laughs) We got a run on. We have two comma splices, including inexplicably before punctuation at the end of the sentence with with a space space in between. What are we doing? Uh, no. And spelling of socks like the white socks or red socks instead of just S O C K S. I just I beg of you, if yeah. you are going to have an express thought, You're right. format it remotely close to an actual sentence in the English language. <laughs> just give that a shot. It's not hard yeah. to speak properly. And to type it is even easier because mm. these devices can fix it for us. Yes. Amazing. Comma, space, exclamation point. That might be the name of the episode. Written out, comma, (laughs) Comma, space, exclamation point. We'll see. In parentheses, softball is blind. This is unhinged. (laughs) The final off-the-wall thing, though, also I've seen several people saying, one, some variation of this is the worst Alabama team or the worst Alabama offense there's ever been. No. Uh, If you just – if. Tell me you haven't watched a whole lot of Alabama softball without telling me you haven't watched a whole lot of Alabama softball. There has been offenses in somewhat recent memory much 
more maligned in their ability to get overall hits and, and giving the the opportunities to to score up score a lot of runs than this one has. Yeah, and the first Alabama team ever was under five hundred, and that yes. will always be the worst Alabama team ever until another Alabama team finishes under five hundred. Right, which will probably never happen. Never. Again, you know, the media guy is available it online, is. but why would anyone no. ever look there? Okay, that's enough kvetching. Let's do some kveting. Mm, mm. I'll do something better next time. <laughs> it's Tom's Hungry yes, and a jumbo edition yes. in many ways. Mm. Starkville, Huntington, oh, wow. a lot to cover. Tom, have at it. You will eat well if you go to either of those two places. Uh, again, the, the Starkville one is always a little bit tricky we were separated for a little bit of the time uh we're not actually staying in sarkville close enough to go back and forth so not every meal was eaten in sarkville but there were several that were eaten in the sarkville and we'll start things off i made a lone trip i was by myself to little dewey all by myself hey more barbecue for me <laughs> that rhymes <laughs> actually kind of <laughs> keep going uh and there had the I uh, had never had it before, the Texas Toast uh, barbecue sandwich. Ooh. Yeah, so it's bar- pulled pork barbecue sandwich on Texas Toast. I should note, again, you went by yourself, so I know nothing about uh, your sure. meal. Right. Uh, so that was, sounds delicious. It was it was quite good. Potato salad, always uh, spectacular there as well. Not quite good bull, but it's good potato salad. Okay. And then, uh, but got the barbecue sundae for the first time, which is... Okay, explain. Yeah. It was an appetizer. I probably could have just gotten it and be full, but it was, uh, it's just, it's presented like a sundae, but instead it's got pulled pork, beans, coleslaw, and you know, barbecue sauce. Uh, next up, the next meal that there was me and SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan after game number two. First of all, the disappointment of, of Starkville was we tried to go to WTF, uh, which was the wing place that was made famous uh, Mike Leach basically saved it by going there, be, uh, befriended the the owner, made it a famous spot that a lot of people go to. But unfortunately, uh, I think they were shorthanded. They had just gotten done with all the uh, Super Bulldog weekend stuff. Yeah, uh, we we walked in and sat there for like twenty minutes, and no one came and took her took even a drink order or anything. So we were like, well, you know, apparently not the day <laughs> to go there. So we ended up going back downtown and went to Bulldog Barbecue. Uh, very good. Uh, had. Um, fried cheese curds for a appetizer. Uh, I got the freshman 15 burger, which had a uh, fries, uh, fried cheese stick as the cheese on the burger. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So that was good. Also didn't eat all of it. Some of that made it back home. To what? Time, so I know. Okay. Uh, and then actually got the uh, donuts bread pudding, which might've been the highlight of the entire weekend until the next day. All right. So, I'm finally back yes. and fully back, and we get to go to a meal together? I know. It's wow. crazy. Where did we go, Tom? We went to Dave's Dark Horse Tavern. <laughs> Let me tell you, people, it is not easy to find. No. We drove past it like, that's that's not a restaurant. That's a Red Roof Inn. <laughs> what is what is the GPS saying? Uh, we <laughs> drove by the Shell, right. and then what? We drove by there, I think, two to three times before we finally saw that it, oh, there it is. It's over on the side back behind where the Red Roof Inn was. So he went in there and I got pizza and wings. Can't go wrong with pizza and wings. Sure. The wings come out first. I wish I'd only gotten the wings because as good as the pizza was, may have been the best wings I've ever had. 
And that's saying a lot because we know Tuscaloosa has mm-hmm. all the wings places. We've had a lot of wings on the road over the years. Yes. The size of the wings, the amount of meat that were that were on the wings, in addition to the flavor, I just got the Tavern Classic, just regular buffalo. It nailed the flavor to to heat ratio. Because a lot of times to get the extra flavor, sometimes the wings get too hot for me. True. So I don't like it really, really hot. Just nailed it. I, I, it's it's really difficult to do what they did with that with that wing flavor. It was it was so good. And you mentioned as well, you could actually smell it. How yeah, yeah how how flavorful it was. And I the, love it. And the pizza was really good too. Again, made it back to Tuscaloosa with three or four sauces. What a just hefty yes. week for the fam. It really was leftovers. You need to go to Startville more often. Like, <laughs> we can go whenever, but it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> I got a cheese pizza. What I love that they did was put a little jalapeno right in the middle so it just gets the very end of each slice but kind of the little extra heat permeates throughout the entire slice it it worked a lot better than i thought it would so big fan of the pizza really good a little kick a little kick on it very nice yes okay so we come home sure get all rested at night right then we pack and leave again where do we go tom Huntington, West Virginia, which Where? is not a short trip, by oh, the way. Let me lean back. I will say, though, one thing, though, driving to Huntington, West Virginia, we went through Nashville, like the easiest we've ever been through Nashville. like In, in, in my in, life. Right. Like, I, we just hit it at the exact right time. It was like right before the lunchtime uh, rush hour, I think, and just as easy sailing as it's ever been. I don't think that. I got under 70 miles per hour at all going not, through Nashville. Right. Not 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 true on the way back, but the way there nailed it. Um, but that was the important one. That was the important so, right. That was fine because we had to get there to get to the Fouts Homestead in Grayson, Kentucky, uh, which is just on the other side of West Virginia. By the way, I didn't realize literally how close everything was up there. Hey, West Virginia, uh, Kentucky Gold. Though. Indeed, definitely a good rival to the shipment spread that we had when we went up uh, to Knoxville steaks I'll, I'll never turn down a steak baked potatoes barbecue chicken the desserts um great mac and cheese oh, mac and as cheese. well nailed it uh salads were great that was just a a really really fun uh homecoming trip with montana yeah great desserts i think this is as strong a crop of home visits mm-hmm. as we've ever had in terms of food everybody again pitched in and why not there were 90 Fouts's There's a lot of fouts. friends there. Just awesome uh, to see the house was really incredible. Yeah, and I I felt like the I, room of trophies. Yeah, I just I <laughs> felt like I got to know Montana just a little bit better. Yeah, uh, with that entire experience and props uh, to her mom and to everybody who had a hand. Uh, our old buddy Tim, everybody yes. who played a part in making that a memorable experience including Tanner and company who decided to give us a little entertainment with the s'mores, Tom. Oh yes. The bonfire. Not the first time I figured most of these, these ladies had sat around a bonfire, mm-hmm. uh, a, a staple in the South. Sure. Um, and then uh, fireworks, which were great. And then got a little close. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry again to KJ Haney for throwing her down as I tried <laughs> to get out of the way. Just, <laughs> I mean, if you've ever seen the movie Cloverfield, <laughs> I have a video that is similar, I think, and I'll leave it at that. The fire- Fun times. We can laugh about it right. now. It's great. The fireworks, similar to the head of the Statue of Liberty, 
coming down the street. We avoided it, and everything's fine. <laughs> everything's great. Everything's great. Now it's just an awesome story. <laughs> uh, and I'm not showing anyone that video, by no. the way. That is for us. Not, so just not FCC compliant. A man, no, it's not. <laughs> I said some things that I've wanted to say on this pod before, <laughs> but they came out there. All right. So we get to Huntington, West Virginia after that. Sleep off all the steak and everything else that we've eaten. Uh, have I we... go to the lone 24-hour pharmacy in town, which is the hospital. Right. And I just pick up some allergy pills and leave. <laughs> Easiest trip to the hospital I've ever had. All right. So uh, we we call the two games, I, and after the second game, Alabama beats Marshall. I realized I literally haven't eaten that day, and it was like five. You didn't have breakfast? No, I slept through breakfast. I was still pretty full from from the from the <laughs> oh night my before. Gosh, yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, very hungry. And so we ended up at Backyard uh, Pizza. Yes, we did. Props to producer Grace Grace Chelman mm-hmm. for the tip. We said, all right, Grace, where do we need to go? She gave us. A couple racks, not just for that evening, but another mm-hmm. one that we'll get to in a bit. First, we walked around the, the football field, saw the monument um, for Marshall and everything. I, I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we went to, and it was a downtown spot, the pizza spot. We both got an appetizer, which probably we could have had as just the meal, again, without the pizza. Uh, you got the, the cheese and lobster cheese sticks, and then I got the... Not a thing I thought I would ever get no. in West Virginia. But really good yes i was shocked it was great and then i got artichoke lobster dip uh with with chips which was outstanding as well yeah you know a meat lovers-esque pizza which made it back to tuscaloosa cheese (laughs) pizza right there you go so that was that was really good stuff and then uh for breakfast as we said goodbye to west virginia we went to uh a local establishment they had i saw there was a couple in like eastern kentucky um, okay, but in that area uh, called Tudors, which had all the biscuits, <laughs> any way that you could possibly want a biscuit, it was available to you. This is my dark horse podium contender. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it slides in because, first of all, bang for your buck. I spent thirteen dollars on just the biggest wrap I've ever seen. Like yeah. I say, wrap. I mean burrito, but I'm still underselling it. <laughs> right. And then the biggest biscuits. It's, it's like, is this a breakfast Chipotle burrito? What I is pulled that? it out yeah. and I had to use two hands to hold it and show yeah. you and say, Tom, look <laughs> at the size of this tortilla <laughs> thing. All for $13, along with a coffee. Yeah. And I think a tea and a water. I got a lot of crap. Yeah. It was great. I got the bacon, egg, and cheese wrap, a sausage, egg, and cheese, or I think just sausage biscuit, maybe sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I think it was sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Yeah. It was so good. The biscuits, I mean, you could tell that they had made those that day. You could tell that they weren't using crap eggs. They right. weren't using bad sausage, bad bacon. No, this was all like legit. Legit stuff, yeah. I got what was called the Thundering Herd which was a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit that also had a hash brown in it. And then I got, I'm trying to remember what, it, what they were called, but they were basically McGriddles. But yeah, they were, with the pancakes. But it was a real, right. it was like a pancake. And so it was pancake with uh, Canadian bacon, uh, cheese, and egg. Uh, but it was like a McGriddle, but with real pancakes on it. So it yeah. was really good. And then uh, biscuits and gravy, because if biscuits and gravy is on the menu, I'm probably going to get it. And again, we, we just, we expand our 
ordering repertoire Mm -hmm. for you. So we get as many things as possible, as many options as possible. We try and vary, I know. Yeah. All for the pod. Yeah, all for the pod. All for science. Science. Yes, food science. Huntington blew me away. Very good. I'm not going to lie. Expectations weren't super high because I knew we wouldn't be there for very long. And I wasn't sure even when we would eat, let alone where we would eat. Yeah. And also, this is the only city where we had nothing going in. We got all our wrecks while in the city limits of Huntington. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Yeah. And, you know, when will I go back? I don't know. But if I do, I know where I'm going to eat breakfast. It was, again, a a supersized Tom's Hungry for you. Guess what, folks? We have a pod next week. Yes. A regularly scheduled record on a Tuesday, post on a Wednesday pod. I don't want baseball. We don't want midweeks. I assume we're going to Oxford Thursday. All right. We're good to go. All right. Regular pod. Sounds good. Bada bing, bada boom. Bam. There we go. Up until then, Tom, we've got a series this weekend with LSU. Again, we're apart on Friday, back together Saturday and Sunday. So many ways to track this series. But of course, how do the people tune in? Well, if you're listening over the air, you can listen on 97.5 FM in Tuscaloosa on the regular airwaves, nick975.com, online, the MeTV975 app. But if you're listening app-wise, I would suggest uh, your best chance to hear it with absolutely no technical issues would be the Varsity app. All available. Knock on wood. Yes. No technical issues. SEC Network Plus, me and Kate Brooks on Friday. Uh, I am very excited to see our friends Beth Moens and Michelle Smith coming in town this weekend to call the games on Saturday and Sunday. Yes, that would be a lot of fun. And I'll also say this. If you're a regular listener, if you swear off TV, if you don't like whatever, I don't really care about that. Listen to us, sure, but turn the TV on on Sunday. It's another ESPN game. Just make sure that it's there so it counts the ratings because, again, the more that these games are watched, the bigger the numbers are. The more games like this you're going to see on big ESPN, eventually back on ABC, ESPN2. So even if you don't want to actually watch it, even if you're going to church, mm. leave the house and turn on the TV and keep it on ESPN. Yes, I like it. Yes, and we will be tweeting out all the pictures and links, et cetera, et cetera, Tom, from our various Twitter accounts, at box underscore pod for the show. Tom, where can the people hunt you down on the socials? T Canterbury RTR. C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y on the Twitter. Did you hear that, Oklahoma fans? No! At T Canterbury R-T-R. It's not a real petition. It was a joke. I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore I'd still be in favor of it. I'm sure no Oklahoma fans have any issues with me. (laughs) What a rousing weekend, a rowdy weekend. This LSU series has been sold out for months, Tom. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's also just frankly very important for a lot of reasons. With all that in mind, I'm truly fascinated. I I am excited, a little bit nervous, but I'm certainly fascinated to see how things go at the Rhodes House this weekend. We were calling the Sunday game maybe the most important game of the season for Alabama. That didn't go Alabama's way, so that means these games this weekend are now the most important games for Alabama this season. Facts only, partner. That's what we do. And of course, you can listen to them all all weekend long watch them however you want to do it get the ratings up and tune into us because we're going to have some fun on saturday and sunday thank you so much to our friend amanda scarborough for joining us and playing a little softball as blind and thank you to you dear listener for 
joining us once again on the Out of the Box podcast. Real talk, numbers have been as good as ever, considering the pods are longer than ever. Mm. Really fantastic. Thank you to everybody for tuning in each and every week. We really, really, really appreciate you. Even if we have to call you off the wall every once in a while. Well, you know, the uniforms didn't do it. <laughs> no, not their fault. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box podcast.